We running this, let's go. I'm on a boat, I'm on a boat. Everybody look at me, cause I'm sailing on a boat. I'm on a boat. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 51 of Salt, Ships, and Scuttlebutt, a World of Warships podcast. With you, as always, is myself, Captain Green, and joined, as always, is my wonderful co-host, Griefer. How we doing, buddy? Good eye, mates. I was just throwing some shrimp on the barbie and cracking open a can of Foster's when someone said, this is my knife. And I said, that's not a knife. This is a knife. And I can't do, I can't do this anymore. No, that's yeah, fine. That, do you want to know what's pretty funny? funny? Do you want to know what's, what's funny? Up? You sounded a little bit like Bexy, which I think is, I think is really funny. Oh, no. <laughs> Bexy, please don't mail me. But yes, if you, if you didn't pick up on it, we are once again joined by our star benchwarmer, the third host of the podcast. He came out wearing sweatpants and, and a sweatband. He's ready to go. It's Mr. Pickles. Yeah, uh, we're going to have to dub in some Rocky music there. Thank you for once, once again welcoming, welcoming me back on the show. I seem to have lost my ability to pronounce words. Uh, was, yeah, but That was, <laughs> was the Australian leaving your system. <laughs> right, right. Had to, uh, had to get back to my normal speaking voice here. And you might have just heard a laugh in the background. We are once again joined by... Sea Raptor, welcome, Sea Raptor. How are you doing this evening? Howdy, boys. How y'all doing? I am. I'm good. New England weather is being New England weather. Last week it was I like can't shock you, dude. It was it was like negative like five degrees and negative one hundred and six. Dude, look, that's Al Gore's fault. Just blame him. It's fine. It was the, <laughs> it was, I walked around and and my my beard froze. That's how cold it was. Well, and was I, it just one hundred and six on the top of Mount Washington, or or was it, you know, minus everywhere else in New England? It, it was minus. It was it was one or two degrees below zero for oh, in a lot okay. of the places in Massachusetts. But Mount Washington, Vermont, I hope, maybe New no. Hampshire. I don't know. They look New the same. Hampshire. Um, they recorded the new lowest country, uh, lowest temperature, I think, in the country, which I think yes, was negative one hundred and six. Yep, correct. I saw yeah, those. Oops, sorry. Oh no, that wasn't the temperature. That was the wind chill. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. It was, it was 106 below zero because the wind was blowing like 100 miles an hour or something, right? So yeah. I is it bad that the first time that I saw those pictures, I really wanted to just go outside, like or be there and go outside and see how long I could last? Is that bad? That's bad. Okay. Yeah, it's not good. All right. It didn't look that bad. It didn't look that crazy. Yeah, I mean, but there's, you know, hundreds of well-motivated corpses on uh, Everest that you know, didn't look that yeah. bad. Yeah, that's right? fair. Yeah. Looks really nice in pictures, and then you fall off yeah. a sheer cliff, and you're like, eh, all right, maybe not too good. Yeah, maybe this is a bad idea after all. I actually, yeah. speaking of that, I recently started getting uh, really involved with a lot of those climbing stories of all the mountains. And it's, it's, it's crazy. The, the the stories like that because you know people are up there they're climbing a mountain for like 30 days because they have to acclimate to the mm -hmm. uh like altitude and stuff mm -hmm. and then all that work and and your entire life can just be i don't want to say thrown away but like extinguished in the span of a yeah. of, of like an afternoon my, and my yeah. attitude about everest is that any place i have to bring my own oxygen to safely exist i probably shouldn't be to begin with outside of like you know a protective cover like you know if you're on an airplane 
at 35,000 feet, fine. If you're standing outside at 28,000 feet, that's probably not okay. You're not supposed to be there. No, you had to climb to 28,000 feet. That's my point, right? (laughs) What are you doing? So what are your views on Mars colonization? Oh, no. So there's there's a difference here, right? Like, right, okay. Where you're changing planets, that's, that's to me, there's a much broader species-level conversation you're having at that point, <laughs> yeah. right? Okay, but as opposed to, hey, I want to go climb this mountain. Yeah, you probably shouldn't do that. It's really dangerous. I don't care. Okay, well, you know, you do you, and, and we can't stop you. But, you know, when bad things happen, I mean... The helicopter the can't way. get up to you. Don't take this the wrong way, but you're probably screwed and we can't stop. We can't do anything about it. So just keep that in mind. There's also a few other stories that I heard that were like incredibly, I'd say, inspiring or like it really kind of put a lot of respect in a lot of these mountaineers. Because there there was a story of one of of a a couple who was climbing and the, the husband got altitude sickness. So the wife bundled him up, gave him their tent. To like wrap up and you know insulate himself, basically gave him everything to exist in his spot for as long as he could, and then um, climbed back down the the mountain. And as she was climbing back down, a section of rock gave way and like absolutely destroyed her hip. And oh, then no. she continued to climb down and successfully, uh, you know, returned to base camp with a a destroyed hip. And, it's crazy. Yeah, you know, yeah. Stories like that are incredible when yeah. when you when you hear about them. Yeah, human perseverance is not to be messed with. But has this has this sort of uh, taken the spot of shipping disasters for you? Because I remember, you know, like any time a tanker went down, there w- and there was a YouTube video about it. For you were on that for for quite a while. No, I'm I'm still there in trains too. I, I started okay, talking to I started talking to a listener about trains. Um, Dude, wasn't there a derailment the other day? Huh? Wasn't there a derailment? Yeah, there the other was a day? massive derailment. Oof. There was, um, yeah, I, I was actually talking to a viewer, somebody who's been on the podcast. Um, I was talking to him uh, on Friday, and we were talking about just general train stuff. And uh, Mr. Punk Boy Andy, thank you very much. Oh, and, that reminds me. He did tell me to give him a shout out. I, I saw Punk Boy Andy in game. So oh. if you're listening, Hi. Okay. All right. Shout out's done with. And train's done with too, because I think this is a boat podcast. Is I it? read that somewhere. Yeah, I know. It might be in big bold letters at the top of the itinerary. I, I could have um, sworn I was sold I was sold that story when I was invited on. No, nah, I know. You were. You were. And and that's my fault. We did lie to you. Uh, but there is a nice way to segue this because speaking of boat disasters, a lot of times what happens is boats will run aground. Mm. And that is a pressing issue. Boats don't like ground. And we're going to talk about the new map mechanics that they're coming out with. Uh, they just released a dev blog on it. It's dev blog 412, if you want to follow along. But they're trying to unify the collision model with the visual model so that you no longer have your ship uh, or submarine or aircraft carrier grounded and then you go into free cam and look and you're, you know, a destroyer's length away from the island or you're trying to ram some someone in, in, a, in a very tight situation and you get stuck on a rock that's not even touching your boat. They're going to they're gonna try to do away with that. And I think that's a very good thing. What do you guys think? 
I am in agreement. The one thing, and I feel like I say this every time we bring up a new thing that Wargaming does, it's going to come down to the implementation. Because um, they, they've done, in a lot of the maps that get released, that have gone through test cycles, there's still times where it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm like three ship lengths offshore and I'm aground. You know, there, there's, there's a lot of rough edges on a lot of these islands. If that stuff can get sanded down, and if that stuff can get reeled back in, I think that that'd be great. Because it is very frustrating when you're sitting there and you're like, yep, okay, I'm, I'm stuck. Okay, there goes my ram. Or, oh, okay, I can't dodge these torpedoes now. Um, and I wonder, speaking of torpedoes, I wonder if that will apply to torpedo physics as well. Because there are a lot of times where your torpedoes awesome. will hit a, a, like a sandbar, you know, three ship's lengths out from the island. And yeah. that'll cost you a game. I didn't even think of that, but yeah. Yeah, no, I like that idea. I, if it applies to ships, it needs to apply to tor torpedoes, like in my mm. mind. Uh, but it's a, I think that's a valid question that we should, you know, maybe put back to Wargame and be like, hey, in your testing, can we just double check and make sure that, you know, it's going to work this way? Because it really should. I think that in, with a lot of the, with the, with the islands and, and ships getting stuck in torpedoes, I think that comes down to, now granted, I have nothing, I don't know anything about video game. Uh, development but i do know a little bit about collision models so i don't know if maybe it's the collision model for the islands that are maybe a little outdated you know maybe it's not as as you know rounded which is why we're getting these errant groundings and these uh these uh you know reefs eating torpedoes and stuff like that from what i understand there are there are two different sets of polygons right when you're talking about a, a visual object in a video game there's the graphical rendering, which is the island that you see covered in trees with the little lighthouses and the little towns and the trucks running around and the lights and all that. Um, all of that is on one layer, if you think of it like Photoshop. And then above that is another layer that's completely invisible that is much simpler, right? That doesn't go into every tree or every lighthouse or what have you. It's just sort of a simple mesh that they put over the entire map and it says what areas are collidable and what are not. And I think that the issue is, is that those two meshes or those two layers aren't aligned perfectly. You know, there's a spot where they said, okay, let's reserve this because I want to make a, you know, pretty little port here or a fishing village. And then they, they push out the polygons and then the designer comes in and they make their nice little coastline, which all look great, by the way. If you're ever, you know, once you're sunk in a game, I'm not saying get sunk on purpose, but if you get sunk early in a game, just go look around, especially on the newer maps, and see what little features the uh, the devs put in. Because the art team is fantastic. They, they've, they've never made a mistake, as far as I'm concerned. But I think that the there needs to be a unification pass where they go in and, and push the collision back. Uh, and I think that's what they're doing to try to make the layers the same. Obviously, not every tree and house is going to be in there, but at least close enough to where you won't feel cheated out of a ram or a torpedo or you know your shells hitting invisible space. I think that that's honestly probably what's going on, and because I, I know that like I, like we said, poly the the two different layers of polygons don't always mesh up. I mean, my mind immediately goes back to um, uh, uh, World of Tanks, 
I don't know if it's still the case. Uh, shoot me if it if it isn't. But um, I remember back in World of Tanks, the T29, the little rangefinders, the rangefinders weren't part of the hitbox, but it was part of the visual model. So there, there mm-hmm. are people who shot the the rangefinders and it, yeah, it would eat shells, but you'd get your little penetration indicator, but it, it wouldn't do any damage. So yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think that it might be something along them lines, mm-hmm. but I don't know because I am not smart. I guess no. one of the other things that I'm curious about, right. Uh, is if this will improve autopilots interaction with islands, because I realize that not a lot of players enjoy carrier, right? But when you play an aircraft carrier and you set up the autopilot commands and you end up near an island, the autopilot always craps itself. And so I have to wonder if maybe this change might also spill over and be a bit of a benefit to uh, carrier navigation as well. I think that if I can be entirely honest with you, I I really hope that that's the case as well because there's been times where... um, for those of you who don't know, I recently started playing Midway. Um, please don't yell at me. And I started no, playing USS United no, States now. as well. So, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, well, there we go. Yeah, well, yeah, at least it's been nerfed, right? Um, but, but no, there, there's definitely times where like I go to tuck in against an island and then somebody's coming and I see him there, you know, like 15 kilometers away. Okay, I'm going to turn out. Uh, and then the autopilot has to do a 15 billion point turn. Yeah, and it does then, like a 38 and, point yeah. turn. And yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So I'm... I'm, there's a part of me that, that when I first read about this change, I was like, okay, I like where they're going, but what I really, really want is I really, really want this to help carrier autopilot, which has been really, really bad for a long time. Yeah. See, I don't think it'll actually, aside from cases where you genuinely hit an island, uh, because they said they're adding a, like, they're basically adding bow thrusters to ships to, you know, push them off of rocks. Um, you know, you're, 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 ship will slip away from land right except for in cases where you actually hit the land i think that autopilot's not really going to be affected that much um at least not positively because once again going back to the layers i don't think that autopilot interacts with the visual layers of the game it may not and that's my point is i don't i don't know I'm. Yeah. I want to. I want. I, I. I want to be optimistic, and I want this to be useful. I want to believe, but I. But I don't know, right? Like it's speculation. Yeah. So. yeah. I think genuinely, autopilot did get worse when they implemented underwater terrain. Uh, because it I feels it, like it did. Yeah. It sees more polygons, and it gets it. It, it gets, gets more confused. confused. <laughs> yeah. It, it seems like it does get confused easier, doesn't it? The rat mm-hmm. brain is displeased. It's and it, it absolutely is true that you know carriers suffer from autopilot because there are a lot of places you know specifically on maps that have those carrier hiding islands right um yes there there are definitely maps where where's the carrier he's behind his island you know um and it's it's even more necessary for the carrier to be there than it is for the stalingrad to be on stalingrad rock because it's 2019 (laughs) right (laughs) when when you see people coming to sink your carrier and uh, you go ahead and set the autopilot because you're busy striking someone, um, hopefully them, right? Uh, <laughs> and it just starts doing that 38-point turn. Mm. It I, just feels bad. Your heart just it, sinks because you know yeah. you're dead. You know right. you're dead, and you know there's literally nothing you can do at this point. Right. Um, and everyone and, and, I, and, and everyone's going to celebrate it, right? Right. <laughs> That's the worst right. part. 
But what frustrates me about it is, is in my opinion, that pissed poor autopilot management of your hull discourages new players from learning and playing the class, right? I see this mm -hmm. all the time. You get you get into a game. Now, I don't play with any kind of like stat aggregators where I can see the stats of my ships, the ships around me, right? So I don't know. I don't, and I don't look at stats in game. So, but when you, when you watch a carrier, okay, when you watch how he, how he, how he plays, how he maneuvers his planes, the attacks he makes, the targets he picks, you can usually tell, okay, this guy is new and he's trying to figure it out. And I've mm -hmm. watched multiple times in the last month or so as one of these one of these people who's obviously working to try to figure out the class gets boned by um by autopilot in the fact that their their map awareness is good enough they've read the map they can see someone's coming for them and they're you know actively attempting to maneuver out of this position to preserve the hull and mm -hmm. and the and the ai just flat out will not let them do it it's like no nope, sorry uh, today's my day off and, uh, you're going to die. Sucks to be you. Right. And it's like, yeah. what the hell? And I mean, that's gotta be just infuriating. It reminds me of cars from like the early to mid two thousands, you know, when like auto park first started. Yeah. And then yeah. like you, you, you know, see some, somebody trying to park their $70,000 Volvo with auto park. And then it sees like yes. a leaf and it just shuts down. Um, yep. <laughs> you know, that that's very much what it reminds me of. I don't think it's that big of a of a dissuasion from playing the class. I think that it's mm -hmm. something that a lot of the class has taken into consideration and and kind of plans around. But I, I do definitely agree that it's terrible. I had times when they first started adding the underwater um, terrain and parts of the map. I had times where like there'd be like a, a mountain range or something underwater. And um, oh, I, God. my I carrier know. would just path around it. It'd be like, what's yeah. up with this sickle? Like, what are you doing here? It's, it's right, water. Right. Just go. It's like, nope, can't do it. Can't do it. I think the bad one was the center of Warrior's Path. And it, yeah. it came out right before a season of clan battles where Warrior's Path was one of the uh, more frequent maps. And right in that middle of, the, of that island chain, uh, in the center of the map, there was just a random piece of land that would always catch battleships. Yep. <laughs> battleships I, are oppressed, obviously. Yeah, the most oppressed. Clearly. Yep. yep, 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 yep. You heard it here first, folks. Mm -hmm. Which is why the uh, the answer is Louisiana. Uh, oh, let's just, let's, let's just not go there right now. I've saved on. my steel camo. I've saved moving my steel camo. I want everyone uh, to know that. You're off the podcast. <laughs> Goodbye. Falling <laughs> uh, on this sword. You are fired. Uh, speaking Moving of on. Louisiana, <laughs> there's a, uh, uh, an issue in this game that I think is, is starting to creep into a lot of games in the same kind of market as uh, World of Warships. And that is the rush to top tier. And the I, I think the breaking down of the previously established walls in terms of like buying a tier ten, because uh, you know there there were there was a lot of times where you know wargaming would say, "Yep, you're, we're never gonna sell a tier ten. You're gonna have to get there on your own. It's just something you're gonna have to get through experience." And I saw the same thing in War Thunder. We're never gonna sell a rank five jet. You know yeah. that's way too strong. We don't want anything to do with that. 
And now they're selling rank 7 jets. And World of Warships has been selling tier 10s. You know, it's just one of those things where it, it just illustrates that there is a, a rush for tier 10. And Wargaming was kind of attempting to monetize it there. Why do you guys think there is that rush for tier 10? Tier after, if you want to go first. Yeah, I'll give it a shot. I think um, I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going to use an analogy. I'm going to go back to all the all the other kind of MMO RPG experience that I have, right? And I think it's a lot of it is the same reason that when you play a game, you know, pick an MMORPG of your choice. World of Warcraft is, of course, the, the obvious choice because it's been around forever, but mm. it's not the only one on the market. So, but any of them, right? They all have some sort of max level, right? And in general, you find a whole a subset of players who are more interested in getting to the top than experiencing the game along the way. And it's, it's, I think some of it is that achievement mindset and some of it is the assumption, true or false, right? But the assumption that the game is easier once you're the big dog, once you're the biggest dog on the battlefield, right? Once you're the biggest dog, once I'm level 60, once I've got my tier 10, I will be invincible. I will be harder to kill and I'll have better games. And of course, as we've seen in World of Warships, that's, that's absolutely 100% not the case because right. it's very common that these guys rushed it, bought it, whatever, they get to the top and they have no idea. They have no uh, underlying foundation, no education in the basic mechanics of what you can and can't do, what you should and shouldn't do in certain types of ships. Uh, and then they just, they get their faces melted off. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily know that I know what drives that. I only know that it seems to be that human, that very human assumption that, you know, once I'm the biggest, once I'm the biggest bully on the battlefield, um, I can get away with stuff that I'm, you know, I'm tired of getting beat up by everybody else. And once I'm the bully, things will get better. And yet so commonly it doesn't, does it? Right. It's all I can yeah. think of. No, I, I, I largely agree. Um, you know, and I, and I can certainly sympathize with the, uh, you know, the, the World of Warcraft reference because, you know, when, when vanilla came out, I went to relive my teenage years and, you know, tried to get to 60 as fast as possible. I think I did it in like a, a week. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that by, by week two, I, you know, I was, I was wearing molten core purples and all that good stuff, right? And so I, I definitely get that, you know, rush to the end mentality. Um, and if I want to play devil's advocate a bit here, I think that the, the answer doesn't really lie in forcing people to play tiers five six and seven because a lot of lines especially newer lines and, and introduced lines you know the the american hybrids coming out right now they they don't even exist until tier eight and up right yeah uh and then uh, other lines don't get their gimmicks until tier eight or half of their gimmicks are locked away behind you know tier eight nine or ten and um i think that the main thing that makes you effective in World of Warships, and just like any other game, really, the main thing that makes you effective is game knowledge. And you do not get knowledge about armor thicknesses and gun sizes and gimmicks by playing tier five, six, and seven, because those are they, they are different. 
the thresholds at those tiers are different the gimmicks aren't there now you might you might get access to some of them like you might be in a tier seven uh and you have overmatch you know like you're in a synop or or colorado um or a tier six you're in a you're in a west virginia and you have overmatch and you you get to delete omaha's even better now um but or just get five over fans you know, whatever <laughs> um Ooh, speaking from experience are we buddy i felt some pain yeah, yeah. in that yeah yeah <laughs> no i think i think some others are worth i think i think oklahoma can only overpen cruisers i'm pretty sure god bless <laughs> i don't think Assuming it has you can overpen anything i'm not yeah, convinced yeah. it can overpen anything yes <laughs> or i mean sorry full uh, pen anything my bad right right so anyway i i think that the the issue lies in as of now it's not that there's too many people that rushed to tier 10 it's that there's too many gimmicks and things that people have to learn at tier 10 that they are unable to do beforehand and and i i know that that they've made great strides in reducing the grind you know over the years and mm. Um, you know, made it easier for new players, especially being able to move your commanders around on premiums of different ship types. That that makes the buy-in for premium commander trainers uh, much smaller. You can just have one premium ship per nation to to train your commanders if you don't have a you know a twenty-one pointer or sixteen million commander XP laying around like yeah. most of us do, right? So they they've definitely made great strides in making it easier for new players to access the content they want which is you know the big ships that's where the money is obviously yep. but they have not made great strides in teaching players really and that's why i would say you know join a clan talk to people who played the game for a long time they're going to be the ones to tell you about all, all the all the things you need to learn and remember to actually be effective at tier 10 and then super ships and whatever else. So I, I think I don't think it's a it's a rushing problem. I think it's a knowledge problem. Can't disagree with that. No, I I, I very much agree as well. Um I, I think that there is just more vested interest in people getting up to the Iowa's, you know, your Montana's, your your stuff like that, your your quote unquote like naval legends. And that's where I mm -hmm. think the main kind of crux of the issue is, uh, I, is you know, I think that for every one person that boots up the game and goes, "Oh boy, I can't wait to play my Wyoming," there's a hundred <laughs> there's a hundred billion people who are like, "I can't wait till I get my Iowa," and yeah. World yes. of Tanks had the exact same issue with the Tiger One and the Tiger Two, because the 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 popularities there the the perceived imper uh, the perceived perfections there and you just have a right. lot of people who no holds barred just barge their way to it and then yep. because they rushed so fast down the line they aren't as adequately i think that that's where the the knowledge comes in they're not as adequately knowledgeable about yeah. the line or the ship or certain mechanics i, mm -hmm. I think pickles said two things there that are really important and of course, we, we've hit, you know, you're hitting on one, which is the, the, just the knowledge. And, and that's something that many people, myself included, have, have sort of beat up Wargaming over the years for. There's not really a proper tutorial in the game. 
you have to you have to expend a tremendous amount of time out of the game reading right. and looking and investigating and educating yourself on other things to really wrap your brain around it. But I think um I think the other one that that you hit upon is um yeah it's gone. Oh well, I had a really smart I huh, the gimmicks, <laughs> that was it. Yeah, no, no, that was it. Yeah. That was it because because there are gimmicks at tier 10 that don't exist anywhere. I mean, mostly we'd be talking probably about funny buttons, right? The, right. the goofball right. super ship things that you don't start even seeing until you get to tier nine. And it, let's let's assume you're playing the game for the first time. You are leveling up. You have literally just gotten your very first tier nine ever in World of Warships. Think about that. Think about, let's say you're, you, you've just started playing the game. You're brand new. You, you opened your account two months ago. You've just gotten a Fletcher. And for the mm -hmm. first time, you are out playing your Fletcher and you run into an Annapolis. You God. have no concept. You have no idea what that thing can do to you. Um, mm -hmm. And it is, it is, again, I come back to, maybe, I mean, there, there's an argument to be made about, oh, education, LOL. But to some extent, it's because, you know, we, they, just, they, they just, they keep putting stuff into the game. And I understand the, the need for new content, but it just feels like we don't do a really good job of, of educating along the way absolutely and and now it seems like every ship and every line does have to have a gimmick because yeah. it has to differentiate itself from other ships you know why would you bring x when y has fancy funny button right yeah and i tried to think of the last time they introduced just a ship right yeah just here is a ship here and, is a ship and here is I a premium whatever I think the the last you know high tier premium that was a ship uh, was the Flandre because they like its its gimmick was that it was a pretty good battleship, right? The, there's no improved secondaries. There's no uh, funny buttons. There's no smoke screens. There's no sap. It's just I, I think I guess you could call the fifty millimeter plate on an otherwise French battleship a gimmick. Uh, but that just sort of brings it in line with the the rest of the battleships that can sort of bounce things if you're well angled enough, right? Yeah. And so the like even even things like the Huga at tier seven, yeah, have a have a reload booster, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, Andre de Dios, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah. So I, I I think that the it's it's the a combination of you know lack of basic game knowledge. Uh, too many gimmicks to learn. Uh, not a good enough way to learn what ships do outside of, you know, basically being coached by a clan. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's really it. Or, I didn't or get again, good until I was going, coached. Yeah, or again, go into an exterior resource like right. YouTube or the Wikipedia and right. edge and spending a lot of time to educate yourself. Mm -hmm. well, the I'd argue that Mr. Pickles is is I think spot on with the um, with the clan and the and the community stuff because don't get me wrong those external um, systems can can be a cornucopia of knowledge absolutely it, it, it definitely can but it's not always conveyed and received in the right way can't disagree hundred percent so. I think that having somebody, uh, my, I mean, one of the most helpful things for me, and don't don't get me wrong, I'm I'm still not a good World of Warship player. Um, 
it, I think one of the most helpful things that, that ever happened to me in the game is playing divisions and then having my div mate go, oh, how'd that work out, stupid? You know, and then and then <laughs> yeah. just be like, okay, you did X and Y when you should have done A and B. And then that kind of introspection, I, I think, was very, very powerful and very, very um, helpful for me. And I think that that is honestly the best way to learn this game. It's not a complex game when you really boil it down, other than you, you could argue armor. But armor is, you got to remember, I come they from... They simplified that. They simplified the armor quite a bit when they did the IFHE changes. Well, yeah, they did. And you got to remember, I'm also from World of Tanks, where you have, like, uh, the front plate of a tank has, like, 19 different armor plates, and you have to make sure yeah. you hit the right one. So, like, yeah. you know, having a 32 and, like, a 36 plating, it's not really that big of a thing to comprehend for me. But, um, you know, at, at the end of it, it's... It's a pretty simple game to understand with complex mechanics, I'd say. Right, which yes. is why you bring a Shikishima specifically to counter Riga decks. <laughs> right? Yeah, I, I would, I would absolutely <laughs> argue that there are definitely some, com some complex mechanics in this game. And some of them are fairly arbitrary, right? It's just Wargaming yeah. has made a decision. This is our decision because game balance, because design, because we want to make money. Whatever reason... They've just decided this is the way it is. Um, you know, the overmatch mechanic is a perfect example, right? Why does overmatch, why does the overmatch calculation work the way it does? Well, when the game launched, they wanted Yamato to be king. So that's why the overmatch calculation is written the way it is, period. And then every ship afterwards has to conform to that, whatever, whatever the quirk of it is. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that was the that was the big trade off between Montana and Iowa or Montana and, and Yamato was that yeah. the Yamato could overmatch and the Montana had more guns. Exactly. Um, and now and now and and of course now as the game has gone on more and more and more and more ships battleships particularly at high tier have that overmatch mechanic available to them. Right. They either have overmatch or they have a comparable mechanic to over uh, overmatch. Because yeah. some, something that was brought up to me that I kind of agree with was um, there, there was an argument on a Discord about whether SAP counted as overmatch or not. Because somebody was saying, oh, you know, I can overmatch uh, heavy cruisers in my Columbo. Hmm. Mm. That's actually, I hadn't thought of it that way, but it's a good point. Um... I don't know that I would think of it the same way because SAP can't Citadel you, or at least not well, in my experience. Can you? You can, can if it is an exposed plate. If the, okay. if the Citadel is exposed, SAP can uh, enter and explode within the Citadel, but it, it's coded much the same way as HE. So, you know, if a Plymouth turns broadside to your Thunderer, right, your Thunderer has enough HE pen that if it hits squarely on the side of the Citadel, where there's a certain plate with a certain thickness, I forget what it is. It's like 108 millimeters or something like that. I'm not. I'm okay. not entirely sure. Uh, you can get an HE Citadel on a Plymouth with a Thunderer. In that okay. much, in that same way, you can get Citadels with SAP if, okay. if the Citadel is expo exposed. Okay, so it can happen. It's just un only under very specific conditions, basically. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Okay. But yeah, there, there, there's discussions and, and stuff like that that I've seen a lot of. And I thought that that was a very interesting way to look at it. And I think that it, it was both a very uh, uninter interesting way to look at it, but it also highlighted one of the knowledge issues. Because as we've just discussed, 
it's not the same thing. It's, no, and it, and there are some mechanics that are just counterintuitive, no matter how you slice them. Yeah, definitely. So, I I just I I think that that's very interesting, and I think that it just lays credence to the we need a a effective in-game tutorial as opposed to here's nine co-op games. Go well, and in my world. mind, what in my mind is you need and and you need it in multi stages, right? You right. need a. Uh, you know, right now, if memory serves, when you roll up a new account, there is a, a very basic mission that teaches a little bit about ship handling and leading your target. So they, they you know, gun aim, basically. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, that's a good starting point. But where's the tutorial on anti-aircraft fire? Where's the tutorial on anti-submarine warfare? Where's it's the little like, pop-ups. Like, yeah, yeah. But my little press O, yeah, right? Yeah, in the middle of a game, right? Yeah. Come on, man. Like, there should there should be... In my opinion, there should be training missions available in port. There's a little tab you click that says training. And there's a separate individual training mission for each thing. You know, let's talk about AA mechanics. So they teach you focus fire and they teach you this, that, and the other thing. Let's talk about, uh, let's talk about anti-submarine warfare. Let's talk about, um, especially for carrier mechanics, right? Like carrier mechanics are so unique to carriers and I, I admit I don't I have not played like a brand new carrier in a long time. I don't know how the, the tutorial tooltips work, but I know that from you know talking to uh, one of the new CCs uh, in the program the other day, she was asking in the CC Discord like, "Hey, I want to learn carriers. What's the right way for me to do this?" And several different people had good suggestions, but it, what if there was a mission that just took you through carrier basics the same way that we have a mission that takes you through ship handling and gun handling. Why is it there one that takes you through plane handling and attacking with planes? You know, all of these things, and you can go back to them, right? This is a tab in port. Anytime you can take a ship and go run this, this training mission out with that ship and just, and just test it out and, and get a feel mm -hmm. for it. And like, I don't know. I, it, I think that's something, a wonderful some, idea. Something like that just seems like it's very basic and that they owe it to their customers. Now, there is there is this the cynical side of me, right? I am a child of the, the the 80s primarily, so I have that inborn cynic in me that 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 says, yeah, but there's money to be made in in prolonging the problem. And so I, I don't want to believe that as a game developer, you don't want to teach people your game, right? But right. I don't I just uh, sometimes the 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 lack of action on this in eight years from wargaming, you have to wonder, like, what's really going on over there? Can I can I play devil's advocate for a few seconds Bring here? It. And, and of course. be on the other side of that fence? Let's go. Yeah. I think that it is a good thing to encourage um, the community to learn and teach each other. Because 100% agree. there's a lot of games that you can play. The first one that comes to mind is CSGO. I didn't know about firing spreads in CSGO when I first started playing. I thought it was like Call of Duty. Me bullets go where me crosshair is. And then I, I ended up shooting in some, you know, whack-ass, oh, earmuffs, whack-ass J pattern, um, you know, with my AK. And I was like, okay, how do I do this? And me being a naive 14-year-old at the time, I decided to ask in game chat, and I got called a whole bunch of things I can't repeat, repeat. on the podcast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that... And, and don't get me wrong, World of Warships does have some issues when it comes to communities. There's definitely factions. There's, de there's definitely differing lines of thought uh, when mm -hmm. it comes to the community. But I think that one of the things about World of Warships that I, I really like is, is how 
the community can teach and learn each other. Because again, that, that I think that that goes back to the, the, the whole thing that Pickles brought up where, you know, the best way to learn is to be in a clan. Sure. I, I, and and, and I, I like your argument and I agree with it because, because it builds community and it almost forces you to, to make contacts and to make friends. But yeah. I still, personally, I still believe that at the most basic level, if you're going to create a video game that has, you know, all these different mechanics, you as the game developer owe it to the players such that they don't have to leave the game to understand the basic working mechanics of what you're offering them. Um, I agree with you that if you want to talk about strategy and, and builds and skills and how to, you know, how to play certain lines and, and what lines are good and what lines are bad. Yeah, that's a hundred percent. Like, the, the company making the game shouldn't even, but honestly shouldn't even be really involved in those discussions because that should, that is best left the community. But, you know, back, and I think I've had this conversation, we might've had this conversation last time I was on the podcast, right? But like when you used to buy a game, a computer game in a box that came with discs, yeah. it came, oh. it came with a manual, yeah, it came yeah. with a manual that explained everything. There is no manual for world of warships. Nowhere. Absolutely. Counterpoint. And, and Oops, go. Sorry. I was going to say counterpoint there. You're not getting that manual anymore. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I remember, and, 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 I, remember I, I get it. Times, times have changed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, 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 the zoomer and greenie is coming out here because he's never held a game manual in his hands. before. I was just going to say, I, I'll always remember when I got returned to castle Wolfenstein on disc and the stone tablet with the instructions on it. It was great. You know, I remember that. I remember getting cheat codes in a Star Wars Battlefront 2 box. Like, you know, I, I definitely understand it. And hell, I even got it with Borderlands when I, when I got Borderlands 2. You, you'd get that little, you know, this, the joystick does this. The, you know, all the controls yeah, and everything yeah. and, and basic tips and tricks. All right. And, and I, I thought that it was very helpful, but I was also a nerd and I like to read. And I know that a lot of kids my age weren't in that kind of wheelhouse as well a lot of people are like all right i'm just gonna get in and go and see where i end up and give me get... a battleship let me blow things up right yeah, yeah yeah it's yeah it's the connect two neurons me smash now, me go when i'm not playing world of warships a lot of times i'm playing paradox titles oh i'm and so sorry for you so things like hoi four and Crusader Ugh. Kings 3. Uh, I haven't gotten on the Victoria train yet. I think they need, need more DLC to come out for that before that's any good. But, right, let's, that is, every single one of their games um, is the most incredibly, you know, settlers of Catan level of complicated uh, menu intensive um, learn 200 things before your first playthrough yeah, I, I that they possibly can, I, and they have really bad tutorials. And in fact, before Crusader Kings three came out, they in the months leading up to it, they had several content creators from other Paradox titles. You know, people who did Boy Four streams. You know, um, uh, I Sorrow and and you know whoever else, right? Tommy K and all them do videos, uh, like 30, 40, 50 minute videos, just talking about. Like one Mechanics. aspect yeah. of the game so that when the game came out, if you had watched, you know, a, a binge season worth of content, 
<laughs> you could you could almost play you it. could almost play the game <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, the thing that comes to mind when it comes to just kind of getting chucked off a cliff like that for me at least is dcs because they oh, absolutely they lure you in with the whole it's free and then you end up flaming out nine times on the runway and have to restart a 15 minute startup cycle and none, nothing's labeled but they have in in recent years they have done a lot of training missions with DCS, especially for you know the paid content, right? Oh, oh, <laughs> you... where, yeah, yeah. If you buy a module, they will teach you how to use it. You, there's there's 400 hours of YouTube videos which are very well produced um, and very well narrated. There is in in game missions, um, not quite to the level of Microsoft Flight Simulator, where you know they actually highlight which which buttons and knobs you have to twist and pull and push but you know they do a really good job of of explaining things on the paid modules i haven't i haven't used the the free modules of dcs so i, I, I couldn't tell you that much like i it. said i just remember booting up dcs because my friend wanted me to play it flaming out twice yeah. on the runway and going this is this is bull and then uninstalling it and to be entirely <laughs> honest with you, Hoi 4 went the exact same way. I think I'd rather stick... Oh, absolutely. I'd rather stick ice picks in between my toenails and, like, kick a door than play Hoi 4. Oh, yeah, if you yeah. don't know anything about it, it's it's got to be the oh, worst Oh, you lost this made. war because you didn't build, you know, two more factories in the Ungabunga province, and you didn't maximize your iron production, so you had no rifles, so you had to give your soldiers sticks. And don't and worry, just they, like, added, oh. they added logistics as well. Yeah, so, no yeah, shot. <laughs> That's why I like Total War, because it's like, all right, this is a building that generates 200 income a turn. There you go. Have money. So I, I think if, to, to, to circle back around to like the original, the, kind of the original topic, to me, the, the problem is really twofold, right? When you start talking about people who got to tier, tier 10 too quickly. One is a, an understanding of tactics, and the other one is an understanding of mechanics. Mm -hmm. My personal opinion, and I know you, got, you can agree, disagree, is that their wargaming bears at least some responsibility for either teaching or failing to teach players at that level some like basic mechanics how does the game function when it comes Absolutely. to tactics when it comes to tactics that is something that you learn through your own personal experience and talking and working with other players i 100% agree the community is is responsible for lack of a better word to to help educate players on tactics but when it comes to mechanics in my mind i still lay that blame at the feet of the game the game developers because their game does not teach so much of that i i yeah. agree so I, I i think yeah you're right it, it is it, it, it does lean towards wargaming failing to in some way or another teach their community about how the game actually works on a fundamental level especially with all the gimmicks they keep introducing mm -hmm. um but there is also you know the the tactics we've all seen uh, at some point or another a 17-9 shima holding w and speed boosting into the middle cap and at the beginning of the game right mm -hmm. we've all seen it it happens all the time. In oh, fact, yeah. it, you, you'll catch a good player out because why is there a Shima charging me two minutes into the game? You know, <laughs> or, or my favorite, why is there an Otago in the middle of the map? And yeah, oh, Madre de Dios, I know, right? Yeah, it's like, what are you doing um, here? What is happening and, right now? And then they and shoot so, AP so at your destroyer, will... and you're just like, ah, oh, he's confusing me. And I guess at some point, if you do that enough, uh, you, 
the, there is a chance that you learn that that's a bad idea. Um, I would hesitate to point people towards, you know, content creators right away. Um, you know, not, not that, not that the content creation program is bad. There's a lot of great people to learn from. I'm just saying that there are certain content creators that, uh, make their careers, um, on what, what is it called? Animal research for lack oh, of, um, uh, I would, yeah. you know, I would say that I would say, you know, the rage clicks, right? How, whatever, yeah. whatever I can do to generate rage clicks, because right. that's what generates ad revenue, which makes me puts money, puts food on my table, you know? Right. Right. And that's, they're trying to make money. That's not their fault. But um, yeah, no, there, no. there are good creators to watch if you want to learn the game. It's just a matter of finding those, right? Um, but I think we've spent probably long enough on that topic. If we want to now talk about gimmicks, uh, we can segue. So let's talk about the Pan America Cruisers that are coming out here. Uh, at some point this year, not quite sure if it's two patches from now. I forget. Twelve point two. When is that? Well, uh, the... I'm good at remembering the the point. Have they actually announced that's the goal? I apologize. I haven't kept up as well as I ought. Oh no, twelve point two is when early access will begin. I was just going to okay. say they haven't gone through their fourteen month early access period for the U.S. hybrids. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. We're gonna be we're gonna be a little. These are a little bit far out. However. There are still very, very interesting ships to look at, and they've had uh, quite the storied past. I'd, I'd say and they aren't even out of the gate yet. Yeah, I think this is... We've already had quite a bit of controversy with these mm. because of the choices for designs, and I think that, that Wargaming is already trying to rectify that. They've They've announced some ships are coming out as as premiums or dockyards or whatever, or, uh, you know, in-game um, research points, coal, you name it. So I don't, I don't know why they chose what ships they did for, uh, for the designs, for the physical designs. Um, you know, I think we were talking about earlier how it's, it's very British from tier four until tier seven. Tier seven with a wild Italian in the middle there. No, uh, no, the with seven, a... the seven is still very British. It's the eight yeah. where the line starts to go. What is happening here? Well, no, but yeah. there's also you forgot there's an Italian in there at tier six. Oh, that's yeah. right. The, the six the basically, Duca. yeah, they snuck into Duca d'Alsta. Yeah, they did. And then um, the um, I think it's the the tier three with the large like forehead style superstructure. Doesn't that remind you of them low tier Dutch cruisers? Well, yes, it does. And Ooh. in fact, uh, I think it might be fairly similar to those. <laughs> and and uh, for, for those the, of you who don't know, this is where a lot of the controversy lies with the line, uh, both in their gameplay and in the, in the ships themselves. Because um, a lot of South American uh, players were upset because they, they were looking forward to seeing their native designs and, and native... Um, and, and the ships using their navies during the time period, and with with a few of these ships in the line, uh, we we simply just did not get that. And as somebody who had to wait like two years for the Massachusetts to come out, I really can resonate with waiting for um, a ship that you're really anticipating to come out. And fortunately, the Massachusetts came out great. You know, 
um, that that wait certainly was worth it. And I, I, I hope that the same ends up being uh, for these South American ships and the South American players. I think a lot of people were looking forward to um, you know another another Boise clone at tier seven, uh, perhaps maybe not. <laughs> oh, <Uh-oh. laughs> maybe not. But uh, definitely the Almirante Grau uh, when it was not introduced when the uh, the line was announced was probably quite a shock because you know we had the seven as a uh, dockyard ship and everyone thought okay well they're going to do a tech tree version when they nah, do the, the Pan American she'll she'll come as a premium I can almost guarantee and, it and so so she'll probably be coming as a premium yeah um, and then. And that that's something that I think is is the main point of contention in the line. Not that we have a Colonel Bologanese, you know, at tier yeah. seven, which is just essentially a, a Fiji minus a turret. I, I think that it comes down oh, to um, all of the ships that they were that were anticipated ended up being put up uh, for dollars. Yes, and I, yeah. I think that that's one of the largest things. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I I knew. That I, I wasn't going to get mass. I was going to have to get it as a premium. But um, as somebody who's consumed a lot of naval literature and naval designs, uh, it's always disheartening when you want something in a line when a line's announced, then you just end up not getting it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then the the eight, nine, and ten being very strange proto woosters with. Uh, the the nine and ten having these these triple gun turrets that obviously didn't work in real life. Not that that's new to to wargaming. Um, you know, turrets being reliable and and or or being you know, functional in real life hasn't really stopped a lot of these ship designs. So it's not that's not like novel, mm. right? I mean, the Worcester doesn't choice... jam as much as it should. But... Yeah. <laughs> Um, but, but the choice to go with these designs, uh, is kind of strange in current wargaming terms. In my That's opinion. putting it lightly. That's putting yeah. it lightly. Like, cause you're, cause you're introducing what are very clearly American, you know, U S Navy light cruiser concepts into a pan American line when the exist that design has never even been introduced in the USN line or even as USN premium. And so it's like, what is, what is this all about? Yeah. Um, granted, um, I'm, I'm kind of happy. We don't have 19 Worcester premiums running around or, you know, no, I don't disagree with you, but I'm saying it's, it's odd. No. Yeah, definitely. Like, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm very much um, in the camp of what, why didn't we get any native designs? Uh, because e- even if you didn't have slipways to launch anything or, or you didn't have any um, capacity to build these ships, there were always designs kicking around. Um, and I, I would have much preferred a, a South American paper ship than a uh, American paper ship. Especially since uh, if if my memory serves... American policy was the reason why uh, South America didn't have a whole lot of these native cruiser designs or, or um, you know, British ships or American ships to begin with. Probably. I, Probably. Yeah. 
Don't tell like, them. I'm, I'm pretty sure that was the, the whole thing was like, oh, we don't want them to have uh, modern cruisers. So, you know, don't stop building them and, and don't sell them anymore. <laughs> I mean, okay. why, do you, why do you think the British should throw a torpedo at a Boise? Yeah. Well, I Sorry. Um, real quick point on your tier seven. The the it is it is you're right when you say it a Fiji class minus a turret. You're not totally wrong. There was a subset of the Crown Colonies. The last three ships built, um, they they dropped that one of the the I guess it would have been the the old X turret off the hull, uh, and, and they actually are considered a subclass. The, the I think they call them the Ceylon class. HMS Ceylon was actually is actually um, uh, Bolognese in the game. Uh, that is okay. that is a ship that was sold to the Peruvian Navy in the late 1950s. And it probably dropped a turret for the same reason every other ship dropped a turret towards the end of the war, which was to Bofers. add more AA. Bofers. Yeah. Yep. Probably. Because, I mean, you, when you look at that aft superstructure that, where that old turret used to be, uh, there's definitely some AA guns up there. And I think it actually, I think they actually added more communications gear as well. I'm not positive. I'd have to go back and check. There... It's it's always very interesting whenever you see oh, subclasses. Names, so I have no idea what any of this means. <laughs> forty millimeter slash fifty six OQF Mark three Mark seven mounts. Then they name the the shells are are four point five inch, but actually it's you know out of a hundred and three inch or a hundred and three millimeter barrel, and it, I don't understand. British uh, small caliber gun naming conventions. I don't think they do too. Yeah, <laughs> but um, it's it's very interesting to see um, subclasses and stuff like this represented, which mm -hmm. I, I think is awesome because I I love the the Crown Colonies and the the fourteen different subclasses they had. I I think a they're incredible looking ships. I love their lines. Mm -hmm. um, their service record is definitely nothing to scoff at. And um, like I'm, I'm really happy to see it. And again, it existed, so that that's that's good. But um, and and in real life, they were quite well armored. Oh yeah, they, yeah, they weren't too bad. It's what a hundred millimeter belt, hundred and two, hundred and fourteen, hundred and fourteen, one fourteen. Yeah, with the fifty one millimeter deck. Yep. Thick. Not too shabby. I mean, these but, things. Uh, never mind. Sorry. I, I, I think to me more worrisome as I look at these ships and, and the recently announced kind of radical changes is it feels like they're flailing to figure out what they want the line to be. Right. Um, What's the you gimmick? Know, yeah, yeah. Like they started out, they started out as they seemed like very close cousins to the American light cruisers uh, with this goofy mechanic of your, all your consumables have really long cooldowns unless you're in combat. And then you have a button you can push that while you're shooting your guns and landing shells, the cooldowns on your on your consumables gets better and better and better and better. Now, if I'm reading this blog correctly, they've stripped the HE shells away. You're AP only. You're back to improve ricochet angles. So British cruisers, right? These are now British light cruisers, essentially. Um, you get you most of them, I think, starting at tier six, they have. Uh, the crazy British cruiser heel, which sounds about right. I think the Brits don't get it until tier eight in their light cruiser line, but okay, here we're going for tier six right now. You don't get regular hydro, you get this crazy short range hydro, which 
still adequate for, you know, if you're hunting down a destroyer camped in smoke. So, okay. Um, you get defensive fire. Uh, you get a spotter plane in most of them, it seems. But you get high tiers, you get access to radar. Like, all of this is very, like, with a couple of minor exceptions, it sounds like we're building uh, a, a cousin line to the British light cruisers. Right. And when you when you add things like uh, surveillance radar and a super heel to a ship, then you start talking about making something ultra competitive, right? Because yeah. now now it has the functionality to where you could sl you could see it being used in competitive. and and the game isn't all about competitive. In fact, no, you know, it's a very small portion of the game. but uh, the competitive ships tend to get more play in randoms because, you know, of their very nature. They're, you know, good ships and, uh, you know, at high tier people, people want to grind them because, you know, the, the clan says we need them for CBs next month, right? Um, so then you start talking about, well, is this ship meta? And obviously we have no way of knowing that right now. Nah, no way to know that. But wargaming has to be very careful when they introduce a ship that has all of these uh all of these gimmicks i mean it's like the it's like we we were talking about off the air a little bit ago the um the the just announced eudd split right the the mm -hmm. tier 10 is supposed to have smoke and radar and seven guns and a mogador hull you know that 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 sounds like a very nasty combination that wargaming has to be very careful with, right? When they when they add all those things together. So when you have improved AP angles and radar and super heal, you have to be so careful with how you tune the rest of the ship. Because at the end of the day, nobody nobody wants to bring a support to a random battle, which is where I think the game should be tuned. Because if it's if all it can do is you know provide these gimmicks and it's not fun to play otherwise, right? And you you you're constantly forced to press the F button to make your cooldowns faster so that you can gimmick more often. I don't know if that's the direction they should be going, and I don't think I don't think Wargaming knows either. So. That's my two cents on it. I, I'm I'm very much in agreement. Um, this is something that I've, I feel like I've discussed a few times before, but the, the more you add to a game and the more you try and flesh out trees and World of Tanks run into the same issue, you're going to start running into overlaps in terms of play style and in terms of kits. And that just boils down the finite amount of, uh, you know, consumables you have in game, and and I'd argue finite amount of play styles uh, you can right. you can put on to you can have a cruiser uh, do stuff like that. So, nah, I I think that this was this was bound to happen. Were, were you see, you... I don't really have a problem with overlap. I don't I don't think that. You know, there there should always be one cruiser that has this consumable and one cruiser that has that consumable, and uh, and if any 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 other cruisers have the same consumable, then it's a problem. No, I, I think it's fine if there's you know a level of 
these two do basically the same thing. Pick which one you want. Because I, it just adds more variety of things to look at in the game, if anything. I get I get that it makes it harder for, you know, from a competitive sense to say, like, ban Moskva, then we'll just bring Stalingrad, right? Or Petro. Um, but, you know, ban Perth, here's Wanghei. But I, I think I think overlap is fine, and I don't think they should be pushing for more gimmicks, and instead they should try try to consolidate while while adding to the game. But that's my two cents on it. Um, I'm inclined to agree to some extent, right? I don't mind. I don't mind overlap. Uh, in order for every every line of ships to have its own unique thing you have to invent such a ridiculous number of gimmicks that it becomes just silly but i do feel like every line of ships should feel like it has its own identity and i think for a long time they did a really good job with that and i personally think that the most enjoyable ship lines to play are lines that do feel like they have a solid identity and the and the and the lines that to me struggle are the ones that feel very, for lack of a better word, very schizophrenic, right? I look at the European destroyers as a really good example of that, because that line is is it's a it's a Frankenstein line of ships made up of of ships from all these different nations and all these different eras, and you know some of them are good gunboats and some of them aren't, and some of them are, are decent torpedo boats and some of them aren't, and it's just it's all over the place. They've tried to smooth it over a bit, but the line just feels very inconsistent to me. When you when you compare that to something like the British light cruiser line, which has a very specific identity, those ships flow very naturally. They play very well. They're a lot of fun in general. They're very they're, you know, they they all like you know from the beginning you learn this is still a light cruiser. You will get deleted if you if you blink wrong. Um, mm -hmm. But but once you figure out a, a a play style that suits you in that class, you can pretty much roll with that through the rest of the line. And then once you get to the top and they tempt you with radar, and there's a couple of ships at that high end that radar is actually a really fun, can be a really fun uh, uh, alternate play style, for lack of a better way to put it. So, no, I don't know. I, great. I love Radar Edna and I love Radar Minnow, right? I've always yeah. loved radar on those ships. And I love that you have that as an option. If you want mm -hmm. to do that, you can. And... um Right now, I look at this line and, and you know, on paper, obviously, I haven't played the ships. Um, they're sitting in my port. I'm not even sure I'm allowed to do videos on them just yet. I have to go back and look. I think I could, my, I could maybe do first look videos on them. But, you know, they've announced all the stats. They've announced where they're going. And as I look at them now, I'm like, I'm not convinced they kind of separate themselves from the British light cruiser line enough to really justify them. And then you're adding in this right now again never having used it what feels like an unnecessarily complicated way of getting the consumable cools downs down to where they are useful attractive i'm not sure what word to use in that situation but like right now yeah. it feels overly it feels that that long consumable cooldown feels overly punitive right if you're going to penalize me for this what am i getting back in return if i'm going to play a ship that's got this built-in uh, handicap. What am I getting right. for it? And right now, again, on paper, the answer appears to be you're not getting anything. So obviously there's some, either I'm missing something in how I read it, 
or I'm going to have to play the line to figure out what it is that I'm supposed to be getting. Right. You know, and, and not having played them, I, I can tell you that if you're constantly having to shoot to get your consumables up, I guess is, is sort of the way they're going with this. Yeah, yeah. Then it's going to heavily reward good positioning and a compliant uh, opposing team that's willing to just throw battleships at you. I mean, yeah. I I I can't see I can't see how that rewards uh anyone but the absolute best players, you know, who who understand positioning and uh what both teams are going to do to such an extent that they can always be constantly in a position to not only use their consumables but to also be uh making use of their gimmick and also having, you know, I guess since it's AP only, uh, having broadsides to shoot at you know it's it's so positioning dependent yeah that i a lot of people are really going to have a hard time you know if they if they're released in, in any way like they are right now I, I i don't think it's it's necessarily a good thing um if you just make a ship that to to get mediocre performance out of it or or even good performance out of it you have to be a master of positioning right because not a lot of people are that play. I, I certainly am not. I've been playing it's, for a long time. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a skill. So here's the thing, right? Positioning is a skill that comes with experience. Mm -hmm. And even then, especially in random battles, it's a very easy thing to get wrong. Just because, just because it's dependent to some extent on what the players around you do. And if they do something that you don't expect or don't anticipate well then suddenly your carefully chosen position is a steaming pile of crap through right. through. I won't say through completely no fault of your own, but like certainly not through your intention. Um, right. And so, yeah, that's uh, you know, that's tough. Mm -hmm. And, and there are, there are certain times where, you know, you'll, you'll boot up a game in a cruiser and you spawn alone on one side of the map with the DD and it's completely open and you know, you're in for a bad game. Yep. Right. Yep. Because the the enemy team is gonna is gonna push that spot, and then your DD gets torpedoed two minutes in, and uh, there's there's nothing you can do to make that position better because you simply spawned in the wrong place on the wrong map. Yep. So, and it's a problem that all light cruisers have, honestly, uh, especially nowadays with your Maltas and your Elbings and everything else. So I I just I, I think that, that this this line as it sits probably not the, the savior of light cruiser gameplay. You're super quiet over there, Green. My nose got congested again. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> no. I've I've no. I'm not gonna lie, I've been uh attempting to remedy this situation. I don't know who's cutting grass or what wh who's doing what, but my, my head is just congested. I've been listening, but yeah, it's been, I've been in this the trenches. Is, okay, listen, you're a host on this podcast. Yeah. I'm a listener. You can be a host and a listener, but right now you're a host. Okay. Yeah. So. I agree with everything that's, that's been said. I, I think it's a, it's, it's a tumultuous line that's at a tumultuous uh, unveiling. Yeah. 
Um, but we'll have to see, I guess, what they do next. Oh, know? definitely. I I don't think How, they're done with the line. No, absolutely not. Um, and 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 just to be clear, everything we're talking about is you know, work in progress for sure. Oh yeah. Um, and so you know, don't don't take this as a hey, don't grind this line in the future because we yeah. don't know. They they're you don't know they're nowhere yeah. near done. Yeah, and, These, they're they're they'll do something between now and then. You never have any idea where yeah. they're going to finish. Yeah. Um, but yeah, since, since then we've talked that to death and I'm sure that we'll talk more about it in the next episode or whenever the next set of, uh, changes come out. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and move on while Greeny recovers over there. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm having a day quill. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think the best deal boat order is if, if if someone came up to you today and said you know if you had a new account and you had to get three steel ships in order there's what there's, would be go ahead so James. there's a correct order and if you don't get the correct order uh sea raptor i don't want to be rude or, or threatening or a bad host but it will negatively impact your ability to rejoin us on the podcast just saying whatever Okay. Whatever. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, this is actually a question that comes up in my chat when I stream, right? You get players that come in and they want your opinion. And I tell them, okay, well, I'll give you my opinion. I said, if you go ask another streamer, they'll give you a different opinion, but here's mine. Mm -hmm. um, for my money, the, the, I'm not going to give you an order yet. I'm going to give you the ships that I think you should, you should grab. Okay. Um, one of them will remain Stalingrad, right? Simply because Stalingrad remains that, you know, every once in a while, you just want to take out a big bully and go beat people up with it. And Stalingrad is still that ship. Okay. Yes, she's been nerfed a little bit. I'd say brought back to the pack. But at the end of the day, what you're paying for with Stalingrad is the gun performance out of that main battery is unmatched. There is no other ship in the game that, that her main battery does what Stalingrad's main battery can do. It's lunacy. And so um, to me... That is a ship that it's a, it's only available for steel. It's silly fun to play. Um, it's very unique, and I think that remains an excellent pickup for steel. All right. Um, okay, one, so that's one. That, that's that's one. Okay, so for me, again, this is not an particular order. I'll give you an order if you want, but right now I'm just, I'm just rattling them off. For me, the second one is Ragnar, right? Because oh. Ragnar is a ship that I am continually convinced they are going to have to either remove or beat with the ugly stick. Um, and, and, and one of the things that we've learned over the years is that wargaming is completely unafraid to take a ship away from sale. Okay. And so in my mind, when you see a ship like that, that is, that in my opinion is perhaps a little overtuned, you better grab it while you can, because there will come a time that that ship is not available. And so to me, Ragnar is on that list. Um, it is a ship that has a very specific play style. It plays a little more like that second line destroyer, like kind of like the German uh, Spa Cruisers a little bit. But mm -hmm. the, 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 the six-inch guns on that stupid reload combined with the survivability of the ship and the radar make it a cap circle bully that at, and in the tier bracket is almost unmatched. Like there are very few destroyers in that tier bracket that if I'm in a Ragnar, I'm actively afraid of. There are probably a handful that I go, ooh, that guy's like a threat to me. But most of the time, I'm just like, I don't care about you. I'm just going to smash you, right? So right. I, to me, my recommendation, again, if you, if you like destroyer play, not everybody's like destroyer play. But if, if you're a destroyer fan, I feel like you have to pick up Ragnar because in my mind, eventually, 
they're going to have to yank the leash on that ship and take it away, take it away from sale, nerf it something. Mm-hmm. When you look at the list, the rest of the list, I struggled a bit, right? FDR is a very specific ship with a very, very odd play style that I don't particularly care for. Um, Shikishima is basically, now that Satsuma exists, I look at Shikishima and go, I mean, yeah, she's fun. She's only tier 10, but kind of why, right? Like Satsuma does what this ship does and I can buy it for credits and not steal. Um, so is there a point to this? I mean, maybe, I don't know. I've never cared for Mecklenburg. I think Mecklenburg is a steaming pile of crap, but that's my personal opinion. If you if you like Mecklenburg, good on you. Every ship in this game deserves someone who likes it. Um, I would say Incomparable almost makes my list. And the reason for that is she, she, like Stalingrad, is very, very unique. What Incomparable does, no other ship in World of Warships does. And so, in my opinion, she can be a tremendous amount of fun. Now, is she competitive? Eh, we can make an argument both ways. I think you'd probably, my meter would probably tilt a little bit towards no, but in randoms, that ship is silly fun, right? You can just, you can get away with shenanigans in that ship that you can't get away with, with other boats. Austin is a very difficult ship to play. Um, I know, you know, you go back and you, there's all these videos out there, Flambass and all these guys doing silly things in Austin. And yeah, if you're, if you're, I mean, I, I, they're, you know, guys like that, I can't do those things in Austin. And I have, you know, 14,000 battles and eight years in the game, and I can't make this ship perform the way some people can. That's not to say you can't, but the point is, it is an incredible challenge to play the ship and get really good performance out of it. The gun reload is, you're constantly fighting it, right? You're constantly fighting that seven second reload or eight seconds or whatever it is. So mm-hmm. it's a challenge. Personally, I love Plymouth. I think Plymouth is an excellent steel ship because it combines everything that I love about Radar Minotaur and everything that I love about Radar Edinburgh into one convenient package. Now, with that said, she is not easy to play. She is a little bit of a challenge um, and she's still very soft. She is, at the end of the day, still a British light cruiser. Uh, but I, I continue to like that ship. And if you like the British light cruiser line, if you like playing Radar Edinburgh, I highly recommend Plymouth. You you haven't mentioned one steel ship yet. I'm not. And you're, I'm, you're I'm not done yet. There's me. there's there's two left, right? No, I know. I'm just I'm surprised that one of them didn't make your list. I'm not, I'm not done with my list yet. Okay. I'm just going down the line. I'm going to get to the last one. I get to is my third ship. Okay. Okay. So so there's Vallejo, which is a new steel ship, and I look at the ship and I go, I I can't curse, but I like why? Why does the ship exist? It seemed I don't understand it. Certainly, if it was a coal ship, maybe. But as for steel, why would anybody pay steel for Vallejo? I don't get it. Um, it's, uh, there, uh, I can't, uh, there are no words to explain my, my loathing of the ship. I want to like it. It's an American light cruiser, but all the things that I want out of an American light cruiser, Leo doesn't do right. I don't have radar. I don't have, um, uh, well, I don't have radar, which is the big thing, right? But like, yeah. I just, there's so many things that I want out of an American light cruiser. I look at Leo and I'm like, ah, oh, why do you suck so hard? I just really struggle with that ship. Yeah, and then of course the. Oops, sorry. The, the last thing on the list that we haven't talked about is the third ship that I would recommend, which is Burgonia. Good. Now, right. Bur- mm-hmm. now, Burgonia is a ship that I don't personally enjoy, that I don't own. But I, 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 when you watch a ship, you know, you, I've seen Burgonia in competitive dozens and dozens of times. It is an excellent battleship. It is a ship. It is almost like a super heavy cruiser, for lack of a better way to put it, right? With the HE, you're just vomiting shells. It's like playing a tier 10 Leon, kind of. You just, you just, you just 
vomit shells in the general direction of the opponent. And sooner or later, you're going to hit him hard enough. He's going to notice. Um, mm-hmm. But it is it is it is a ship that is very very different from Republic, which of course over in the tech tree. So I would recommend if you like battleship play, I think there is something for you in Burgonia because it is it is a weird kind of hybrid slash heavy cruiser battleship style that is really interesting and fun and affords you a lot of options, particularly in random battles. But it's also a ship that does have its uses in competitive, in clan battles, in King of the Sea, and those kinds of things. So those would be my three picks, right? Would be Burgonia, Ragnar, and Stalingrad. If you wanted me to pick three ships uh, at the top of the list that I would recommend you spend steel on, those would be my three. Okay. I could say that's a, that's a very good list. I think that, that I'd feel comfortable recommending those ships uh, mm-hmm. to, to, to like a wider portion of the player base, right? I could say, well, if you, if you like cruisers, get Stalingrad first. If you like destroyers, get Ragnar first. And if you like battleships, get Burgonia first. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, I, I could agree with that. My list would be slightly different, but I think before that, we, we owe it to ourselves. We, we owe it to Griefer to uh, at, least, at least talk about what he wrote here. Um, and he, he agrees with you for the most part. He said Borg and Ragnar would be yeah. definitely. He didn't put a third for his top three, so I guess he just struggled. <laughs> but, Doesn't uh, know how numbers know. work. <laughs> Look, and it's hard to count when, uh, when you're, you're upside down. Yeah, when you're upside counting, down, right? counting, counting is hard upside down, apparently. But you yes. got to use your toes, apparently. It's weird. Anyway, uh, but he did say that the bottom two are FDR and Plymouth, which I would also agree with, because um, I, I just want to make Greeny mad. And, yeah, no, so I, Plymouth. so I love Plymouth, but it is <laughs> yeah, a ship. It is a ship. Of Plymouth. It, it yes. is a ship that you will only enjoy if you love the British Light right. Cruiser Line. If you hate the British Light Cruiser Line, do not buy a Plymouth because it's just more of the same. Right. Absolutely. It, 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 is a, it is a very good meme ship as meme ships go. And I think, you know, it, it's, it's a better pickup than Vallejo. A hundred percent. It is way and, better. And than I Vallejo. think it's probably going to be more fun than something like Mecklenburg. Uh, oh, yes. Just sit in the back and spam HE and, you know, whatever. Uh, Mecklenburg I, makes me sad. Yeah, it's, it's not a very fun ship. And, and that's really that's really the point. But uh, let me I, I have my own list. That was that was Griefer's picks. Come on now, Greeny. Listen. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the yeah, night yeah. kicking in. I'm waking up, can't you tell? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um see personally I would say for 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 me, you know, because we we I largely agree with Sea Raptors you know, generalist overview of like, what are the three best to pick up for anyone? But for me personally, I have one of my most played ships is Shikachin. Okay. And I love it dearly. I am fully aware that it is a worse Yamato, but as someone who doesn't own any super ships, uh, who hasn't bought any, um, and I guess like a, it originally was like a, you know, not having the the silver or not wanting to uh, sit in a five minute queue, and then now it's just a point of pride to not have them, right? But for me, that the I don't have a Satsuma. I think Shikishima is one of my favorite ships in the game because it just I love the gun sound and I love the you know the big Citadel numbers, um, and 
it, it's it's very fun for me to you know i guess push in a ship that's not good at it right or <laughs> occasionally get those big massive dev strikes but i i love shigashima so that's number one for me uh ragnar number two you know for the same reasons that we talked about and then um number three for me would actually be austin because I, I think that's a very fun gimmick um and it's not going to be one of those ships where every time you take it out you get 150,000 damage and you get purple very stats not. and everyone's happy there are games where you will just get erased yeah there were ga- there are games where you will be poorly positioned and two yamatos can shoot at you uh, or whatever and there's nothing you can do about it and you're just going to have a bad time right but yep. if you if you bring a division and you have someone that's willing to lay you a smoke screen or two and you get in there and you mix it up and you have just the right you know that that 1 in 10 1 in 20 games in a division you can get some really nasty results with Austin and it can feel really fulfilling to get it right when you know you you rock up nine kilometers from a broadside conqueror and they get one shot you know and then you're just chunking them for seven eight thousand damage every two seconds between Mm -hmm. between ticks of their heel right yeah so it, it can be hilarious fun it can be that youtube meme compilation obviously it's not that every game and that's the same thing for for incomparable and Plymouth and and all those that you know they make they make great YouTube clips. Um, they can. You're not wrong about that. But they they're not great dailies, right? You know. So. So yeah, for for me, it's it's Shiki, Ragnar, and Austin. Okay. Are all you? right, y'all ready for this? Bring it, baby. All right. The. Uh, in, I'm gonna put them in order to the mo- one I most recommend to um, the one I you know to, I'm I'm gonna put it in order. Um, number one is Incomp, and that that boils down to exactly what you said, Mister Raptor. The the play style and the shenanigans that you can so get unique. away with in Incomp is awesome. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I don't even think saying so unique is is, is doing it justice. Are you saying that it's incomparable? To oh else? my god! I hate you. He oh went there. my goodness! <laughs> I know. I know. I promised all, myself I wouldn't. We've all made that pun though. Like as a content yeah. creator, I've made that pun hundred oh, yeah. percent. But it's the truth. It is absolutely the truth. It has no. There's no other ship in the game that does what incomparable does, and it's and it's silly fun because of it. Like your funny haha Shikishima guns. Guess what? I've got them. Mm-hmm. You're, you you know I I I've, I've done close to forty knots in this thing. If you take Swift in Silence or whatever it's called, and um, and the brisk. speed boost, brisk and the speed boost, you're 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 chugging along. Um, you you have an ice breaker kind of. If I remember correctly, you have some wonky plating because you don't. Okay, yeah, no, you don't have an icebreaker, I lied. You have cheek plating. And that mainly boils down to the fact that you are a World War One design, so you have 102 millimeter plates all over the place. Um, and a lot of people know that you don't have balanced stern armor, so there, there's been times where I'm like charging at somebody, and then I, I turn 
a little bit, I don't give them like my flat nose, and then they shoot right underneath the front turrets, and it hits the 127 or the 102 millimeter plate and just bounces off. It's lovely. Um, you you get it down, uh, you know, to 11.8 conceal. Congratulations, you're now a cruiser. Yeah, um, you can get it lower than that. She'll get down to like 10, 10 point something, 10.6 if you want. It's crazy. Yeah. So, like, it, it's insane. The, 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 oh, yeah, I did. I'm sorry. I didn't have a captain on it. That's why yeah, it was 11 yeah. 8. Yeah. Should, now that should I get down a, to 10 6. Now that I have a captain on it, it's 10 6. Didn't update. The ship, the ship will be stealthier or at least as stealthy as a Des Moines. You, yeah. you have, I'd argue, some of my favorite guns at tier 10, the 508s. And on a 25 second reload, if you take the Chad reload build as opposed to the, um, spineless range build, and you spineless range build. I love spineless that. range build, dude. Spineless range build. Spineless. Um, you you have every consumable you need on a battleship. You have a, a a pretty good heal. You have engine boost because why not? Let's make a fast battle cruiser even faster. You have self-defense hydro, but because you're so long, you still eat the torpedoes. I don't even know why it has hydro. Um, you, you have an aircraft for range. It is the, the ability that the ship has to disengage, re-engage, and uh, dictate the engagement is unparalleled at tier 10. It's, it's and, ridiculous. And it is <laughs> so powerful. Um, oh, yeah. And that, that's why I'd recommend it. I, I very much agree with what you're saying, though, about it. It is, with it being unique playstyle, it's something you're going to have to get used to. Oh, yeah, and sure. unlike uh, a lot of the other battleships on this list and a lot of the other battleships in the game, if you show broadside, you're going to die. You are a oh, battlecruiser. Yeah. You have, I think, 100 and maybe 210. You, you have a very, very thin belt. You have a... Um, um, you have a very thin belt. You have plating you you eat pens you eat citadels um that's where the heel comes in that's where the concealed comes in but um if you don't manage your engagement you will get um your clock client clock cleaned for lack of a better yep. term number two is is gonna be burgone and it's for all the reasons that we've listed burgone is also very very powerful it has very very good detect Again, for what I think it, it brings to the table. Um, you, you have the French 15s, which I think are, are still very, very good battleship guns. Um, you have a reload booster. You have a 24-second reload without a reload booster. Um, you have cracked HE. You have pretty good AP. It's just a good ship to play. Um, conceals good, 13-2. 30, again, quick. Burger is just so, 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 so much fun. And that's what I think, honestly, makes or breaks steel ships, is the fun and the, and the game impact that you can have on them. Because, Great. granted, steel's a lot easier to get now, but back in my day, yes. it was, <laughs> when it was only in clan battles, that's you, right. you could, it, it was, you really had to consider what steel ship you're going to get. Right. And that's why my, my first was Stalingrad, because I, I used to be a, a proud Moscow slave. Let's go. 
Um, <laughs> Moscow slave. Dude, everybody always think everybody looks down on the Moscow slaves. Nah, I love Moscow. Moscow's good. I was a Moscow slave in clan battles, got a Stalingrad, became a Stalingrad slave. Um, and then after that, it, it, it was in comp, and then Burger and Mech, and then Plymouth most recently. But Burger is just so good. Um, Can't disagree. Mm-hmm. The, the D, the, uh, Bur- it also has Reload Booster. I don't even know if I mentioned that, which is... Oh, yeah, no, that's... Yeah, I don't think we mentioned it, but it's definitely one of the amazing things about that ship. Yeah. Oh, your Iowa just DCP'd two fires. Oh, I'm going to Reload Boost you. Here's oh, four. Oh, here have, fun. here, have three more. Yeah, here, yeah. have three. Enjoy. I'm going to put six on your friend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just why it is so good. And third is I'm, I'm going to have to agree with you guys and, and uh, go with Stalingrad. Um, it's just, it is a workhorse. You, you line stuff up, you knock it down. Stalingrad's there. It can take a punch. It can most certainly give a punch. Stalingrad is, is just... A, a very good cruiser. Now, I will say one that is growing on me, and that's Plymouth. <laughs> I've been playing a lot of Plymouth with a Smoke Yu Yang in um, Dirigible Derby. I like yeah. that. That yeah. is terrifying to have to walk at. I like that. Um, is it something I'm, I'm going to see myself playing every day? No. No. Um... But it is something that I, I I'm I'm satisfied with my purchase. Uh, it's it it has not made the top three, but it is definitely growing on me. Hmm. Yeah, I really like Plymouth, but again, I love the British Light Cruiser line. I always have, and it's a ship that if you like that line, you will like Plymouth. But the, I tend to find that the British Lights are ships that people either love or they hate. And if you hate the British lights, do not spend your steel on a on a Plymouth. It is it is no different. Absolutely. I think the the biggest argument against Plymouth is saying, okay, why don't I just play Eden and that way it's at tier eight, right? Where it's supposed well, but, to be. But you know? even Eden can't combine smoke and radar, right? That's right. Plymouth's big gimmick. Is she right. like like Belfast, like the original premium Belfast? She gets smoke and radar in the same package. She does get a heel, but it's not the crazy British cruiser heel. It's just a standard cruiser heel. So she is, she's a little less survivable. But in the hands of a solid cruiser player who understands their role, how to position the ship, what it does, what it doesn't do, that thing is that thing is mean and a ton of fun to play. All right. So next up, we've got the bathtub event coming back, and everyone's pretty excited. Yes. I've heard a lot of really really happy people about this yes the ducks are back so glad this is coming back back. we've been asking for it for years yeah everyone tells me that this was the best april fools event i wasn't here for it so this is going to be my first bathtub event um so i'm i'm pretty excited for it yeah it's, it's really good aren't they also testing a new mechanic in this they are so it would seem what are, they, what are they testing? Let me let me check the notes here. Mines. Mines, my friend. Oh, mines, my mines, mines. Yes, sir. Oh, this could be an interesting topic. Because <laughs> I, I think we talked about mines when we talked about support CVs. Um, I, I think so. Uh, I think that was one of the proposed uh, mechanics of support CVs. It was laying mines, laying smoke, 
and then the the one that made everyone unhappy was um setting off dcps yes and and making yeah no that's down with the rest of the game yeah that's not a good idea in my opinion <laughs> no. no that's uh um, that, moving, that one was a miss moving back to the ducks yeah you got six of them six ducks six ducks and all of the, them have mines i like the army duck i haven't seen hold on duck. let me let me look let me let me observe the goods look at the ducks now, first oh of my all, god yeah there is an army duck luigi mcquacky what is that like a mafia duck that's amazing. I love everything about it. No, he's a uh, he, he's he's a detective duck. He's got okay. the, the harness. Darkwing duck. What? Darn de la quack. It's darkwing duck. Yeah. Darkwing duck. Spot yep. on. Spot on there. <laughs> I, there's, I a refer- just, there's a reference most of you won't get. <laughs> I thought of the talking about that. I thought it was the. It looked like the blue morpho from freaking Venture Brothers. But that's that's another adverse one. Quack ducko. Oh my! Now. We have a rainbow duck. <laughs> duck ships will be controlled by special duck commanders. Is that is that a Chuck Norris duck? Am I crazy? I'm sorry. I think you mean Duck Norris. Duck Norris. I duck was going to say. Hold I'm on a minute. Sorry. No, I feel like so you missed that reference. There's a there's <laughs> Duck Norris. Um, there's a there's a Rambo. Yeah, I'm trying to stick duck in there. It's not. It's not clicking. It's not, yeah, I can't. I can't. Uh, I can't. I can't figure out how to put a duck in Rambo, but I'm sure. I'm sure Wargaming will find a way. I'll, I'll get 15 billion DMs of of everybody yeah. coming up with it, but it'll <laughs> be on Wednesday, and it'll just have absolutely. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, how about this? Instead of a instead of instead of a history question this week, best two duck Rambo puns. That's good. oh, I like it. I, I really, like it. I really do like that. Okay, so PM Greeny or Griefer, uh, with your best Duck Rambo pun, find and, and a way to combine Duck and Rambo. The um, I'll I'll even widen it. I'll I'll accept any sort of Duck Commander esque puns. So you know anything involving Duck Norris or anything like that. And yep. just just for full transparency, because I've always done this with the um, uh, with with the the codes and everything, I'm going to unfortunately uh, potentially have to limit here the amount of codes I give out each week, and that just boils down to the amount of codes that we have uh, gotten. Um, so for this month, I might have to be a little bit stingy, uh, but I I just figured I'd put that out there. Wait a minute. There, there's a few. There's a few other great things down at the bottom of this um, blog post. I don't know if you guys saw it. Speaking of Edinburgh, if you scroll all the way down to the bottom, oh yeah, there's there's new um, there's new space camos. Why does that Edin- look so good? I think that's not just a camo. That's is that a premium ship? Yeah, there. These are these are like there's some kind of new collaboration that I'm not familiar with. I don't know what. I think I don't. I I, I, I see star and makes me think of it's another one of these maybe like anime things. I don't have any idea. As an Wait, anime I, connoisseur, as a weed, am I crazy? Said, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that I don't. I don't see the reference. Okay, so maybe I, I that I have nothing. I I don't know. 
I got nothing. Um, yeah, I don't know. We got like some Necron commander for the Edinburgh, and I don't know some commanders. Pink, some pink Andromeda robot. and Triangulum. Okay, I'm gonna assume the Edinburgh camo with the big triangle is Triangulum. I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm yeah. Gonna, it was reasonable. I'm gonna jump. Going on a limb. Yeah, I'm gonna jump that gap there. Um, yeah, gonna go on a limb there. Yep. We, uh, salt ships and scuttlebutt. All we do is is take risks. <laughs> <laughs> But I really like that Star Edinburgh camo. I love that. It just, it's as a big 40k simp, it just reminds me of the Necrons. We've got the black, we've got the green. <laughs> I really, really, really I'm enjoy gonna, that. I'm going to go ahead and say I hate that camo because it reminds me of the Necrons. <laughs> that's, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. At least the, ne- the next one, I don't know. A little bit of elf in I, I there. Got, I don't know. Yeah, no, it looks it looks like Draine from World of Warcraft. That's what it looks like. <laughs> but that's you know. That's Hold on, more... I gotta look at this again now. Oh, uh, don't you have World of Warcraft open? Have you been Me? playing? Yeah. No, no, I was earlier. Oh, Hang okay. on. Oh yeah, I can kind of see that. I guess it does. All that, all the gold, all the like the the edge and the like the pink highlights and. Everything yeah, does kind yeah. of have a little bit of a drain eye look to it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I see it now. I can see it. Uh, That's I, the best I can come up with, though. So. All right. The commanders uh, are right there yeah, beneath let's, it. Let's actually talk about uh, mines, mine laying, mine sweepers. Um, we might finally have to stop answering the question, what are the little torpedo things on the side of the ship supposed to be? <laughs> yes, it's paravanes. Um, so, so at some point, maybe, uh, we could use those. Um, that would be interesting, but it, it apparently mines are going to work a lot like depth charges and they're not going to sink. They're just going to sit there. Um, and they're either going to explode after a certain amount of time or after someone hits them. And I have one big issue with that okay and this is this is going to come down to more game mechanics because as we all know the kiting ship always has the advantage yes i i think i said that so that means it's correct <laughs> so, sorry is my ego showing you you can tell you can tell the uh the cold medicines kicked in there oh <laughs> yeah no i'm 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 kicking i'm going the uh, when, whenever you're kiting, your shells have a long, have a shorter flight time, right? Uh, and your torpedoes are you know, have a have a faster closing speed with the enemy ship, and technically, you know, they have more range. I was just going to say they have artificial you know, range. Yep. So you already have massive advantages for kiting, which is why you see a lot of passive gameplay, especially at high tier. Because people don't want to push and put themselves in a bad position. Because you know, if you're if you're pushing, you're also potentially pushing into a crossfire. Whereas if you're kiting, you're almost always getting out of a crossfire or making it harder for them to set up a crossfire. Unless there's so, a slava. Yeah, well, no, whatever. <laughs> but this is only going to add to that. If if there are ships in the game that can lay mines, uh that is yet another reason why pushing bad. Imagine trying to walk at an Alexander Nevsky that's laying mines at you. 
let's not. Like you, let's like you get within, you get let's, with, yeah, yikes. You get within the mine range, which is, you know, it's probably going to be comparable to depth charges, which means low tens. You know, you're not going to be laying mines 18 kilometers out. Um, no, I think you, know, you just drop them behind the ship, and then when a ship comes within whatever of you, right? Well, that's true, but they said like depth charges, which makes me think. We could well, they probably have, have a one aerial. or two kilometer in-game kilometer, which is like a weird measurement because they don't actually use a, a good scale in this game. The, the the scale for speed and everything is off, but uh, one or two in-game kilometers of blast radius on these mines, right? I see. But it's a lot of radius. Yeah, that is a lot yeah, of radius. That's a lot of radius, oh. and, and these are all guesses because obviously you know this isn't out yet. Yeah, yeah. I just, I still just think that you know, if you were able to equip this onto any ship, I don't know if it's going to be like airstrikes where it's a certain line. We don't know, but I, I still think that on certain ships this would be powerful. Or if you know, I, I'm like I'm a Smolensk. I'm looking at my Smolensk right now. Say I'm in a Smolensk and I know there's a DD outside of my smoke and he's rushing my smoke. Boop. I I can deploy the mines and then kite away and then he has to deal with that. And yeah. I, I think that it, it has the power to be a, a, or it has the potential rather to be a very, very powerful disruption tool. I think the direct damage is going to be terrible. I don't think you're going to be like one tapping ships that go into the minefield. But I think that it, the deterrent is going to be an, is going to be sufficient that going into a minefield is just not a fun time. And I don't think that they're going to do much damage, but I think they're going to do a lot of what depth charges do to submarines, which is flooding engine and rudder damage, you know, module fires, damage, module yeah. damage. They're going to have a large splash yeah. radius for module disabling. I can see it. And, you know, they might only do 2,000, 2,500 damage, but if you've got a flood now and a broken engine and you were just charging a, a DD's smokescreen, you're having a bad time because you were hoping to save that DCP in case he torped. You know, right. if we're honest, that that makes sense, right? Because you know, one of the one of the one of the uh, lessons learned in ship design and damage control out of the Second World War is that an underwater explosion, sometimes near the hull of a ship, like a, let's call mm -hmm. it the, like the near miss of a giant high explosive bomb, sometimes did more damage to the vessel than it had actually than if it had actually struck the ship, mm -hmm. and so. You know, the idea that the mine, you know, might go off, it might detect you, and then just the shock wave of that mine going off near your hull uh, would, do, would would just, just, just like we said, would knock out your engine, would cause, disable your rudder. Like, all of that makes, like, that's, that's very historical and makes sense to me. So. We'll yeah. see. I mean, one of the interesting things about this mode is I think we're going to start to get a little bit of a sense of where they're going with this, right? And I think that'll be interesting. Absolutely. Uh, the the explosions that break the spine of a ship yes. uh, often, I, I think there's like a special word for it, but it, it's for the life of me, I can't figure out what it is. Um, but the, the keel breakers yep, that's are what it is. especially bad for smaller ships, you know, yes. um, destroyers. And but that also brings in the question, are we talking about eventually maybe um mine layers you know motor torpedo boats with that that lay mines are they going to have It'd like a, fun. a three kilometer detection radius be really good at you know taking out submarines and 
dropping mines in front of people that don't even see them, you know? I just yeah, pictured the I just pictured the War Thunder PT boats. We just have the one dude on yeah. a dishka and a whole bunch of mines <laughs> on the back of the ship. <laughs> but um I think that that would be interesting. I don't think that smaller craft would fit very no. well into. I, I agree. I agree. Because the, and and that mainly boils down to the 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 pecking order, and right. in the the initial rock paper scissors of the game. Well, yeah. If if a PT boat and a destroyer is playing rock paper scissors, the destroyer is going to be a hammer, and the yeah. P two boat is going to be like an ant. You're just not. I don't. I don't see a conceivable way to consistently win the trade, which is going to lead to, um, people playing PT boats and be like, "Wow, these are dog," or you know, just having a whole bunch of people play them and then die and put your team at a disadvantage. So I, I'm not. I'm not as convinced that we'll get PT boats. What I think is going to happen is, we might get some sort of mind sweeping esque module or captain skill mm. and i think that we're going to get something along those lines uh to to adequately deal with mines and i, I think that it's just going to be something that certain ships and certain ship classes are going to be able to equip like destroyers i think destroyers should be able to get mines because a lot of times during the second world war they they could they were a either converted to minesweepers or b could just keep mines and depth charges in relatively the same storage areas. So I, I think that destroyers are going to get them, no questions asked. Um, then it, again, depends on the cruisers, and it depends on the delivery method for me. Um, something they, 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 they've been doing since the 50s and 60s is they'll put mines on an aircraft, they'll fly them out, yeah. they'll drop them, and then they'll, they'll just forget that they're there. And then four yeah. months later, a Japanese cargo ship hits them, and then it's terrible. You know, or something like that happens, um, which means I think that we might get airborne mines, which is why I was talking about the next oh, year earlier. There, there are definitely countries that, you know, had mines dropped from airplanes. Um, the U.S., uh, Britain, that I know of off the top of my head. Germany did, too. Ugh. Yeah, Germany did, too. It's late for you. Yeah, the so, it, so, it, in. so in your mind, then, this is potentially laying the groundwork for, say, support carriers. Yes, I think that this yeah. will will play directly into support carriers. I would agree um, with that. And I think that, ar- and I'd argue that that would be a very good way to utilize support carriers because it, it the big toss up with support carriers is how am I going to justify a ship in a game that is all about killing the enemy team when okay okay you you can cap out but the vast majority of the time games are decided by who clobbers the other guy into the ground first. Yeah, And having one ship on your team that can't clobber is, is, it's really hard to justify that. And I think that that's probably the issue that they ran into during the first round of testing for the support carriers. I wasn't a part of this, and even if I was, I wouldn't be talking about this, but I I don't know. This is just speculation in my gray matter. But I, I think that with airdrop mines, and with the minefield mechanics that we're going to be getting, I think that that is a very good in for support carriers to both support in terms of the, the aerial smoke wall that has been pretty consistent. And I, I think that mines are also going to be great because you can use them like zoning torps. Um, you can you know use them as direct damage. Uh, I assume it's going to be a little bit like the airstrikes where... 
you know, there's a little bit mm-hmm. of a, a wind up, and then the the drop goes off, and then there's a little bit. Of, I call it an arming phase, that little parachute phase. Yeah, um, I, th- I think it's going to be a similar system like that, where uh, a plane comes in, drops off the mines, mines are going to parachute down, deploy, and then they'll be armed. Um, I don't think right. they're going to be used like skip bombers or something where you can just drop no. them on a deck. But um, They would have to be, because you have to give the counterplay, which is getting out of the area. Mm-hmm. Right. But I could see it being used, say, you know, you know how there's, you know, in, in competitive, you always have the two DDs backing in simultaneously to the contested cap, right? Uh, if you have a, a support carrier in that situation, you know where that DD is going to be mm-hmm. backing it to that cat. You know exactly what he's going to be doing, right? And instead of just throwing zoning torps at him, now you have something that's like a semi-permanent barrier to entry, right? It, it's so true area denial. Different, you have to, yeah, you have to actually pick a different course. You can't just back off, let the torps pass, and try again. Yeah, it's true. It's true error denial, which I think is something that that really needs to be stressed because exactly what you said, you you can still zone with torps, but there's a difference between zoning and area denial. And right. putting mines in an area is pure area denial. You go there, you uh, depending on if you can have multiple minefields out. There's a whole bunch of different things, but it potentially alerts the enemy team to where you are. Because, hey, I got damage. Something wandered into my minefield. And you're eating damage. And, you know, that is negatively... potentially burning a DCP. Exactly. Which I think is going to be the main... Yeah. um, I have have a little thought that just popped into my head as well. And that this is going to be terrifying. (laughs) Have, have either of you played World of Tanks recently since the artillery no. changes? No, I have I have attempted World of Tanks and decided this game is not for me. Well, there, what artillery changes? Because the I, concussion. I, I, played it. Uh, I think I played it like a few months ago, so probably, yeah. The, the stun mechanics that the yeah, artillery has. Not fun. Yeah. What if we get something like that in the game where it's not even like a DCP or it doesn't even burn a DCP. It... it negatively affects things like your reload like your turning like um stuff like that and you have to burn a dcp to mitigate those things or deal with it for 20 30 seconds on top of damage i think that that we we could be going in a direction like that and i think that that would be probably the only way they could go without um going directly towards hey your dcp's longer which is i think what they tried Original. Yeah, and I, I on as much as I don't like that system, I think it's better than hey, uh, you ran over a two thousand ton naval mine. Your gearing is now snapped in half. Have yeah. fun, yeah. which makes more sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I think that we might be moving towards a world of tanks as stun mechanic. Um, once again, no idea what's going on. I'm literally yeah, reading the dev blog and looking at my Smolenskin port. So <laughs> like. I don't know. That's just a thought that popped into my head. And I honestly think that I don't know how I'd feel about that. I mean, I guess we'll have to see, right? Because we're we're not even at the point where uh, the the bathtub 2 is being tested yet. So mm. um, that, that's the whole point of these April Fools and, and Halloween events is they have a concept that they want to see how it works. Yeah. And then, and then it takes them quite a while, typically. If you're fine, I mean, how many years before submarines came out? 
And if you think back to the original, um, you know, submarine Halloween. Yeah. Like, like over two, well over two years, I think. Yeah. And that's so, so it might be two years before we see, uh, you know, I guess our best guess right now is support carriers with smoke and mines and whatever else. Um, I'm putting, I'd, I'd put money on it now. Third quarter. I think that's where I think we're going to see it. Oh, they're just they're just going straight from April Fools to you know here's your Halloween of support carriers. I I think that we're gonna get a third quarter because oh. we we they do they are look look at it this way look at it this way they already have the models. Mm-hmm. They they the support carriers already went through some semblance of testing because I, right, I and re- people people are dying to get their Bogues and their Essex and their I want Battle Barge Bogue back please. Uh, people, people are genuinely thirsty for those ships back, and I don't mean in the Azure Lane sense. Yeah, um, and I, I think that a lot of the groundwork's there, and I think that that separates it from something like a South American line, where it's, you know, hey, new models, new lines. All this stuff is still kicking around in the game files. A lot of the framework's still there. I think that we're going to get it soon. I think a lot of the models are outdated, though. I mean, you look at... Um... You look at Bogue and Raptor Rescue, and uh, the poor thing looks like she's from 2005. You know? Don't you dare disrespect my Bogue. It's okay. It's okay. They strapped, they strapped Bogue to battleships now. That's right. We have Bogue decks on the top of our battleships now. All is going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. Battle Barge Bogue, baby. Battle, I, Battle Barge, baby. I want it back. I want my Bogue back. What was it? 02022? What was it? An AS Bogue. Yeah, AS Bogue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like 201, Three, what was it? 301, I think it was 201. Yeah, 201. 201. I think you had, because you had, you, had, you had the HE bombs, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, it was I, like the total troll carrier. I think, I, I think I'm, I'm putting money on it now, quarter three. Mm, that's, that's a little too soon for my taste, I'll tell you that much. Well, speaking of too soon for my taste. Uh-oh. The history okay. section. Well, actually, we we could have made uh, any number of other segues. And it would have worked better. And it would have worked better because actually tonight we're going to be talking about, and this is something I like to do every time I do a history section, is I like to do like a this day in in ship history, right? That's what I I started doing. And then Griefer kind of let me off the leash. And then I started talking about like oil rigs flipping over. And then he was like, hey, don't do that. (laughs) I mean, I work in that business. I can talk about that if you want. But go oh, ahead. Like the, the, the ocean, no, ocean no, ranger? On, don't do it. Oh, you're, don't you're talking about... Oh, no. Ocean it's... ranger is st- still a very sensitive topic for the, for the oh, people. No, no it is. It's very, it's, it's very no, interesting No, it's a tragedy. Well. But, it but for them, it's, a, it's, it's very fresh in their minds, most of I, I, I understand. I, I love crawling yeah. through NTSB reports and stuff like that for, for stuff like that. Um, El Faro, stuff like that. It's all mm-hmm. still very, very tragic. Don't get me wrong. I'm not like... Ooh, dead people, sunken ship, you know, but it's, it's, it's very, it's very interesting to me to to find out how things like this happen and how Mm -hmm. the, the series of events lead up to, to cause these Titanic failures. But anyway, before Pickles starts DMing me and crying about me monologuing about something that has nothing (laughs) to do with the podcast, because we've already done that. Yeah, we've done that three times or four times this episode <laughs> so far. What are we at two hours, right? I think the longest time it went unchecked was when Optics, Geishu, and I talked about 
uh, Deep Rock Galactic for like 40 minutes in the middle of a podcast. That was... I really know how to stay on topic. Clearly. Yep. So uh, February 11th and 12th of 1942, we had a pretty significant historical event uh, in in the world of of ships uh, and with some some very famous ships in-game. And so... The uh, the actual thing that happened was the Channel Dash, the infamous Channel Dash, Operation Cerberus. So Scharnhorst and Eisenau and Prince Eugen heading from Brest to Wilhelmshaven through the English Channel, something which had not been done in over 200 years by an opposing naval force uh, to the British. So, you know, quite the... Uh, quite the upset and it was actually one of those uh one of those few things where the angry mustache man uh yelled at his admirals and was you know actually right because <laughs> everyone raider Donitz, they all hated the idea yeah, they, were, they were all like this is stupid we're gonna end up this having to write really a whole bunch stupid. of letters this is yeah. good yeah uh, this is insane they, they we're gonna lose Every single capital ship we have, except for Turpitz, which yeah. is Defira, are you on crack? <laughs> yeah, um, well, maybe he was, but uh, maybe he was. I mean, did you see this footage of him at the 1936 Olympics tweaking looked, out of his mind? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he looked pretty, pretty, pretty on cracky. Yeah, um, so what had happened was, you know, um, Scharnhorst and Gnizanel. Uh, I think that's how you how you're actually supposed to say it, but I think we okay. all just agonize now. Um, they had come back from what was it? Uh, Operation. I wrote it all down here. They were coming. They were coming back from the loss of 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 Bismarck. Well, yeah, Prince Prince Eugen had returned. Prince Eugen was coming back uh, from the loss yeah. of Bismarck. Yeah. Um. So they Prince Eugen got there. In, in early March of 1941. And then around that time, or I guess a little bit before that, uh, Sean Horsen and Eisenau came back from raiding in the Atlantic, and they, they, they actually did a pretty good job with that. And they were all at the Port of Brest, which is like on that jut of land uh, on that peninsula on the French coast on the Atlantic side, not on the Channel side. And After losing Bismarck uh, and dealing with British bombing in of of the Port of Brest, because the, the British couldn't quite make it over the Jutland Peninsula to to bomb Tirpitz, where she was before she moved to Trondheim, and so they were just constantly bombing Brest over and over and over again to the point where uh, they took a French training cruiser. And dressed it up to look like Gneisenau, and then put camo nets over Gneisenau <laughs> in the hopes that they would, you know, lessen the impact. And the the bombing wasn't really that impactful. And you know, they admitted that you know the more bombs that were dropped on Brest, the less were dropped on uh, German industry. So, but that only lasted as long as those ships, right? And Hitler couldn't afford to lose another capital ship 
1941 or 1942, for that matter, especially after Operation Barbarossa uh, started to slow down, and um, you know they were they were losing steel by the by the thousands of tons, um, and not an easy thing to find in uh, in Germany. Believe it, believe it or not. So they decided, you know, we're going to move these these capital ships back to German ports where they can be bombed less, uh, which is kind of ironic considering how it turned out. But in order to protect Norway, they moved Tirpitz up to Trondheim, in where where she was there for you know the rest of the war until finally uh, she was sank by bombing, and then Dernitz was was ordered to to retreat eight submarines from the North Atlantic and then another 12 to Norwegian waters. So everything was just being consolidated at that time uh, towards the, the the Norwegian coast and the, the you know, Denmark and um, Germany. And so there was there was essentially two proposals or three proposals for how to get these ships from Brest into German ports. And uh, the first one was to go up around the Faroe Islands. Well, that would be too close to Britain and it would go all the way, all the way around uh, the British Isles, right? So, that was out. It would take them right past Scapa Flow. It was a terrible idea, right? Um, where the home fleet was. And so they were like, okay, well, we can go all the way up around Iceland. Again, terrible idea. Massive amount of uh, of wasted oil. And it's they're not going to make it anyway. So then someone said, well, you know, the stupidest thing we could do is sail it right up the channel. And, uh, and Hitler said, yeah, it's a great idea. They would never expect it. Let's do it. They'll never expect it. And never see it coming. It. Never see it coming. And and the irony, of course, is that they didn't. Even having cracked the Enigma and intercepting communications, um, the British had no idea that they were gearing up to make a channel dash. Now, they knew something was up, especially in January of, of 1942. They knew something was going to happen. They... They could see the ships being loaded. They could see the gunnery crews training. Um, they could they could hear all the transmissions and everything. But their spies were reporting things like tropical uniforms being loaded on board, and uh, it, you know it, the the equipment for the the South Atlantic. And um, so they thought, oh well, they're gonna they're gonna you know push either into the Mediterranean, past Gibraltar. And that would be crazy. Maybe they're going to be on the coast of Africa and try to prevent, um, you know, the Americans from landing or something. You know, they they thought all these things, or or they're just going to go back out into the Atlantic and go back to commerce rating. But surely, they're not actually trying to make a channel dash. That that would be insane. And um, and so they planned this operation totally in secret, uh, Operation Cerberus, which. You know, as as we know, is the, the three headed dog from Greek mythology, and I guess the three heads in this point would be uh, Gneisenau, Scharnhorst, and Prince Eugen, right? Um, and they they even got the Luftwaffe to agree to cover them the entire way up the channel, which was, you know, their forces at this point have been stretched pretty thin, so 
they were able to commit 250 planes to it and they they actually dubbed the the Luftwaffe dubbed the operation Unternehmen Donnerkeil uh which is thunderbolt and um Greeny I know you're hungry but it has nothing to do with Donner Kebab I'm sorry dude listen I'm counting the days until I go to Europe and I can I already told my friend my friend's like I you know we're gonna be jet lagged when we're there it's gonna be terrible I'm like no we're going we're walking a mile up the street we're getting Donner Kebab this is non-negotiable <laughs> Now you got me thinking, God damn it. You got him you made him hungry. Middle of the night. One thirty in the morning. I already ate my floor pizza that I, that's been sitting out since yesterday. What else am I supposed to eat? <laughs> you're supposed to think you're supposed to go to bed and dream about Donner Kebab. Um, Mission accomplished, apparently. Yep. Yeah. So they, they planned this and it was it was under the command of Vice Admiral Otto Siliax. And so they decided to start uh on the 11th at night so 11th of february 1942 9:14 p.m they left the port with scharnhorst gneisenau prince eugen and six destroyer escorts right um they somehow navigated past these minefields that had been like 275 mines had been laid to prevent these ships from leaving port mm. not a single one was hit yeah, somebody uh, somebody screwed that up, didn't they? And this was this was they had they had uh, mine layers going through. They had planes dropping them. They the whole nine yards. Um, and this was on top of constant air raids that didn't disable these ships. Right? Can we just can we just talk about how funny throughout this entire event, or throughout this entire event, how funny it was that how Britain had like planned for a large portion of of the the eventual plans, but all of it like. Fell apart, Wallace and Gromit style. Yeah, I—I mm-hmm. I mean, oh God, what's that? Um, what's that slapstick British comedy with the 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 music that everyone uses for the goofy sped up chase scenes? The Benny know, Hill, the Benny Hill, Benny Hill song. Yeah, oh. the Benny Hill, the Benny Hill show. Yep. Yeah. So, so you can imagine this whole operation from the British perspective as just this one one long two day Benny Hill skit, because. Having dodged all of these mines that were keeping the ships from leaving port, um, they sailed right over HMS Sea Lion, uh, one of the most modern submarines of her day, tasked specifically with ensuring that none of these ships left port. Right you over had one. You had one job, sir. Yep. One job. One job. Should I just and play then... Benny Hill music while we discuss this? <laughs> I probably should. Hold like on. probably should. But uh, I mean, no. this is one one of the one of the things that you know when you go back and you read the history of Cerberus, it was a massive embarrassment for the Royal Navy. Oh, right? absolutely. Now, in the end, it did not amount to much in the grander scheme of the war that they were able to salvage these ships. But the Jer- the British didn't know that at the time, right? right. So. They looked like idiots. It was, it was, you know, tactically a massive victory for the Germans. Uh, Morale-wise, a massive victory for the Germans. Yep. Strategically, pretty minor. They they moved boats around. Nothing. They moved yeah. some boats around, and then uh, a few weeks later, the the um, Gneisenau was 
I think she was bombed into oblivion on the 26th or 27th. Yeah, she got there like two weeks later. And then got um, butchered by the RAF. Your sub captain's yeah. gonna make it to America, all right, Mr. Ryan. He's gonna uh, die with inside of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then uh you know, the, the Prince Eugen got torped in Norway and then uh got fixed up, sat there for the rest of the war, and then was uh bombed in Operation Crossroads, poor thing. Um and then yeah, the Sharn Horse, obviously the Battle of the North Cape. She made a heroic last stand. So, so then, you know, to get back to the story, there they are, going around the the um, you know, the peninsula there, and they get into the channel, and there is there is seaplanes out patrolling the channel that night. And they just fly right on by. They miss more <laughs> more than any hill. Just missed completely. And there's so many naval stories in World War II where these, you know, elaborate search patterns and, you know, crazy, like the the one plane at Midway that got held up and didn't discover the American yeah. carriers for another 30 minutes or something. You yeah, know? Tony's it's, scout plane that missed. Yeah. So yet another case of a scout plane not seeing ships. And it's it's hard to think of, but yeah, here we are, right? Mm-hmm. And um so they made it basically almost to uh, Dover Strait. And the Luftwaffe at this point has constant flights, you know, coming over, flying over, doing patrols, scouting for, for British patrols, uh, running out of fuel, being replaced. You know, 250 planes, so there's constant air cover. And the British are looking at their radars and they're like, radars and they're like, "What? What's going what, on? What's going on over there? This is yeah. like a search and rescue mission. Like, what? <laughs> what did they lose? You know?" And then yeah. uh, another scout plane finds a bunch of motor torpedo boats leaving from, you know, ports in like Calais and stuff and heading towards the uh, the fleet. And they're like, "What? Where are these guys going? They're going towards all those planes. The radar is picking up." And of course, none of them are talking to each other. So, so finally, the British catch wind. It's like something's going on here, and they send a flight of Spitfires just to go see. Like, don't so the engage. Hell's happening. Yeah, don't engage. Don't don't do anything. And they're they are basically at the Strait of Dover at this point, right? A little late, fellas. And and so. And keep in mind, the weather is terrible. And they specifically chose this day because they thought the weather was going to be terrible. The cloud cover was thick. It was raining on and off. The The swells were huge. Nobody wanted to be out in this, let alone flying planes. So why were there 250 planes? British had to know. They send these Spitfires over. And at first contact with the enemy, these Spitfires dive into the clouds to get away from, uh, I guess they were you know, BF-109s. And they break through the cloud layers and they're staring at this fleet of Sharn, Horsk, and Eisenhower, Prince Eugen, and six destroyers. Boy, did y'all screw up. And miraculously, they survived the anti-aircraft fire, but they, they were noticeably confused. Um, and in order to, to not spook the Germans, I guess, they maintained radio silence all the way back to base. It was another half hour of flying, and then they landed, right? 
And then they called the Admiralty and said, hey, guys, did you know? There's did you guys shit. notice, by the way? You know, I don't know if you guys some boats. would be interested found, in this. We found your missing fleet, FYI. Yeah. Hey, can you, uh, can you, you check into the port of Brest? Yeah. Oh, yeah. they're yeah. there? You're gonna find news. something. You're, you're gonna find something missing that you wish you hadn't lost. Just FYI. And so they call up Winston Churchill, and of course he gives a speech about how at all costs we must prevent this. And um, oops, yeah, the, that sh- that ship has sailed, literally and figuratively. There, Winston. <laughs> yeah, buddy, old uh, buddy, old pal. Not not great. Not great. <clears throat> so. see so that was 10 30 in the morning so it's nearly you know 11 o'clock right and uh so churchill orders these ships be be stopped at all costs made to pay dearly whole nine yards you know how he's quite the firebrand and uh they were not in a position to do this Uh, the raf the navy they had basically nothing ready for this and so they sent out the only thing they had at the time that could intercept them before the Dover Strait was five motor torpedo boats, little tiny, basically PT boats, you know, 80, 100 foot, four torpedoes a pop, get there and get out. And so they, they these, these five little motor torpedo boats run up to the fleet, drop their torpedoes, and then run away because it's, you know, the six destroyers alone could take them, let alone the battleships, right? Or battle cruisers. I, I don't want to get into that right now. But uh, they did nothing. And then they got so close in the Strait of Dover that these coastal batteries, 9.2-inch coastal batteries opened up. Even radar guided, they hit nothing. Um, 1 p.m. goes by. They're clear of the Strait. And what do they see on the horizon? Swordfish. You know, the, the most feared adversary of uh, German shipping. Anything German. Uh, the string bag. <laughs> and um, unfortunately for the swordfish, swordfish, it did not go like it did with Bismarck. You see, they figured it out. And uh, there was a lot more AA guns on, um, you know, the six destroyers and, and three capital ships than just one capital ship by herself with the uh, poorly calibrated guns so unfortunately for the uh for the brave swordfish pilots they did not get to go home that day um then there was a bunch of smaller squadrons of you know naval bombers and i think it was like a blenheim that dropped a torpedo and spitfires shooting at them everything going on. The Luftwaffe is trying to, you know, shoot them down and chase them away. And then at uh, at 3 p.m., uh, Scharnhorst actually hits a mine and it completely takes out her engines. So um, she's dead in the water and she was the flagship. So Celiacs has to get off of Scharnhorst get on one of the uh, destroyers that could like swing around and pick them up and then continue on with the fleet because they have to keep going. They're, they're basically five miles past the Strait of Dover or whatever, they, however far they made it, right? And uh, it's not a great place to be sitting as a, you know, admiral of, of the German Navy. 
in World War II. So, <clears throat> 30 minutes is all it took for the engineers uh, aboard Scharnhorst to patch the leak, restore power, get her boilers going, and get back up to 27 knots. That is insane damage control. My boys. Those guys knew what was at stake. Let me tell you, they did not want to be there. You know, we can't stop here. This is back country. You, you, get, the, you get the idea. Um, and so they were lagging behind, but they were still going. Um, so then the Royal Navy sent out what else they had. And keep in mind, the main home fleet is at Scapa Flow, where they've been stationed to prevent the turpits from leaving. There's no way they can come down there. They would it would take them days. They had nothing to stop this, so they sent out a bunch of basically mothballed World War One destroyers, right? Yeah, think think like HMS Campbelltown, right? Oh um, wow, yeah. And uh, so I think it was um, it was three or four of them. I forget how many, but they went out to try to stop these ships and. They fired a bunch of torpedoes. British claimed they hit two torpedoes on Gneisenau, but there's really no evidence of, of that, and the Germans say that no torpedoes struck. So maybe it was just big swells and they got confused or shots or whatever. It, it's very hard to tell when things go splash in, in a mm. storm. Um, mm. But unfortunately for uh, HMS... Worcester, I guess Worcester. Worcester. Well, the, how did the British say it? You know, I, I, don't, uh, care. I don't care how yeah. Greeny says it. You know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, she was heavily damaged because you know there were battleships shooting at her, <laughs> and uh, she was a World War One destroyer. But that, that does did, happen. Yes, she did sail home um, because obviously the Germans weren't ready to pursue her back to port. You know, it's not not what they were feeling um and then so they just kept going and the <laughs> hilariously uh, along the coast of denmark they started hitting mines um, yeah but they so were german now, mines i think yeah yeah they, they were actually german mines um because you know mines don't really care uh apparently no. which is which is something which is something to bring up when it comes to mines in uh well the warships but I guess if friendly fire is no longer a thing, it's no longer a thing, right? Um, so Gnaiz now hits a mine. She just powers through it. Um, and then Sharnhorst hits another mine, attempting to catch up in, in the same like minefield. But by the morning of the 13th, they arrived in Wilhelmshaven. And like i said it was the first time in over 200 years that uh an opposing fleet had passed through the uh english channel and uh made it so quite the embarrassing story uh from from benny hill yeah i decided to not play the benny hill theme griefer can yeah. edit that in and post if he wants <laughs> <laughs> um and it's it's a historical event and it took a lot of guts to do. Uh, 
I don't oh, know definitely. if I'd want to be. I don't know if I'd want to be on any of those ships trying to make the channel dash. I know? wouldn't. I wouldn't even want to be the guy who had to send them out. I've, yeah. I just, oh, well, you know, because you know, if if I survive the war after, it's oh, you know, what'd you do? Oh, I I sent an entire fleet. Um, I I had to be the one to to hand them the order to uh, leave port, and they all th- uh, they all sank. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be like yeah, handing orders terrible. to the Yamato or Masashi. Yeah, you know, um, because it, it's just it it seemed like a suicide mission before they started, and apparently it wasn't. I mean, in the end, it didn't really accomplish much, but uh, except for embarrass the RAF and the Royal Navy. The the amazing part is that they didn't figure out what was going to happen, even having cracked the Enigma. That that's that's the crazy part for me is that they were able to keep it a secret, having had their codes cracked. One of the yeah. few times I think that the German counterintelligence efforts really paid off. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you talked about them loading tropical uniforms and stuff. I don't think I'd ever heard that part that story before, but it 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 makes sense. And again, it worked, didn't it? Right, right, absolutely. Because they were they were convinced that if those ships tried to leave Brest, which they knew was going to happen soon, uh, they were going to head out into the Atlantic or head down the coast and past the Iberian Peninsula. So they were they were all gearing up to stop them from from leaving during the daytime and heading south. And they left at night and headed north. You know, um, yeah. Very interesting story, uh, incredible amount of bravery, and it's worth noting that it's not super warm and comfy uh, in the channel No, in February. <laughs> no, it's really not, is it? You know, especially before global warming, it was a little colder even, you know? <laughs> um, actually, I have no idea if that's true or not, but I do know that lighthouses get torn down by winter weather in the channel all the time. So, I, I think I, I there was a story about some lighthouse that that was torn down by winters six or seven times and kept getting rebuilt. Yeah, there was there was one off the coast of Minot Light here in Massachusetts where it started off as a brick one on the mainland, got knocked over. Brick one built on a on a on an island offshore, got torn down. Built up as a steel lattice one, got torn down got built up as a concrete one, got torn down, and then they built it again in, in, in concrete. It's still there. Someone. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, okay. the, the, the sea is an incredibly powerful thing. Yeah, Water always wins. Point, mm-hmm. Yep, and the whole point is to prevent ships from hitting rocks and stuff in the storm at night, so even if you're in a massive battleship, uh, rocks and waves don't care. You know, from, from what I understand. So... With that, I think, though, uh, we should be wrapping it up. Yeah. So I once again, thank you so much, Sea Raptor, for coming on at such short notice. Oh, no worries. Always a pleasure, fellas. Oh, I'm, I'm glad you're, uh, you're enjoying it, and I'm, I'm glad that uh, you stopped by. Like I said before, and I'll say it again on the record here, um, so far there hasn't been a, a guest that I haven't enjoyed talking to. So it's always nice Absolutely. to get out and meet people. And I've, and I, you know, I've, I've done uh, podcasts off and on for, I guess, even before I was a CC, right? So probably over six years now for the game. And 
there hasn't been a single one I haven't enjoyed being a part of. So kudos to you guys for keeping keeping things going. Yeah, we're trying. Well, pickles. Yeah, this is I, this is my fourth or fifth time on the show now. Yeah, I, think, right? I was gonna say pickles. I'd like to thank you for stepping on again. Of course, anytime. <laughs> More than happy. Um, it's it's always been short notice, but that's never been a problem. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. No, no. It's uh, it's good. It's become sort of a regular thing now. So when you guys can't make it, one of you can eat at least. You uh, you might have to take over while while I'm in Germany for two weeks. We 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 don't know on how logistics uh, on how that's gonna go. All right, we'll figure it out. Yeah. But anyway, thank you very much um, for listening, everybody, and have a nice night. I'll take care. Or day. Enjoy your traffic or don't enjoy your traffic. Judge, the Iowa has eight boilers and don't mess up the weld. Um, and Gamby, please learn how to properly cook a steak. The pictures I got sent are, are terrifying. I know, you, I know you listen while cooking, but please don't ever send me pictures of that steak again. I, I will just cry. That wasn't I, his, was it? No, Gamby cooked a steak and he set off the fire alarm like 14 times. Oh, during, no. Yeah. Gamby, you got to be careful about that, man. In Texas, we we actually have laws and and have sent people to the electric chair for for butchering beef the wrong way. You got to be careful about that. Ugh, it's not yeah. good. No, it's not. The, the 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 conversation was was very interesting because it it it, it eventually went. I'm trying to figure out how to cook a steak. A fire alarm just went off. Everything is going wrong except going is spelt with an F. So, you know, you know it's urgent. But, yeah. All right, canned soup next podcast. <laughs> you can have canned soup and, and toast. Ramen <laughs> might be uh, a struggle. We'll see. Actually, dude, toast might be a struggle. Are you kidding me? Some kid There's forgot a- how to make toast here at school, and he just punched the toaster and broke it. That's a good time. Yeah, he saw. He said it. It was looking at him weird, but we think he just saw his reflection in it. It was very polished. It might have been a Decepticon. I don't know, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and on that bombshell, don't punch toasters. D squares, don't punch fridge. And Gamby, please just learn how to cook steak. You can ask anybody. <laughs>